0: Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers, episode 138, Winning Wars with Words, featuring Scott. This is Maddie, and with me as always is my buddy Scad.
1: Hey everyone! I'm Scad. I'm I'm today's interview subject. It's great to talk to you again. I'm excited and nervous.
0: But wait, I just said that our interview subject was Scott. Oh yes. So, well wait. How does that work? Hmm. How, you're gonna interview. You're gonna interview me, Scott,
1: Scad. Yes, all the dark and go crawl into all the dark
0: recesses of my brain. Let's do I it. I feel bad for all of you. It's gonna be amazing. It's like this yeah. is the next Indiana Jones installment. Um, <laughs> this is the Scadisode, as Jeannie termed it. She called my episode that I did one last time, episode 137, where Scott interviewed me is the matisode. So today we have the scatisode and I'm really excited about it. Uh, more excited than scat is, I think. However, we also are excited about the holidays, right? Scatty.
1: Very excited about the holidays. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's a a busy time for us. We have lots of family commitments and everything, but, uh, yeah, we're gonna take uh, we're gonna take a little bit of time off just just the next few weeks here before the fir- start of the year, and uh, then we'll get into some some new content. So we're gonna enjoy our families for the next few weeks, and then we'll get into some new content. We have a few ideas, Stu don't we, Matt? Yeah, uh, where we might head. We're gonna take a few weeks to uh, read some things to see if they feel good, To s- see what feels right. Mm-hmm. So while we're on a break, we're not gonna really be on a break. We're kind of testing some concepts out. Right. So, but we'll be back in the new year with uh, with that plan, and uh, we also will be going into uh, back getting Patreon kicked back on, and uh, going into some more what if episodes. We've got a stable of what if uh, suggestions that we've been collecting, and we're gonna dive into some of the, some more of those what ifs, which are a lot of fun.
0: That'll be really fun to chat about with y'all. So we hope you'll join us over on Patreon. Uh, where we can start to do some of that fun stuff again. And who knows what might come out of the woodworks with our crazy minds. Indeed. Matt, Um, you you ought, go ahead.
1: Andor. I just wanted to ask what you thought of Andor. I think we're both done with it. Uh, I loved it. I wanted wanted your quick opinion on Andor.
0: Quick opinion. uh, The best thing Disney has produced Star Wars-wise since Rogue One. Which is not coincidental. So,
1: <laughs> I think it's the best thing Disney Star Wars has produced. Period. Maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, you and I feel differently about Rogue One, but this was—I thought it was just great storytelling, and uh, yeah, just a lot of fun, but also high stakes and intense. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I loved it. I think it's my favorite. My favorite Disney Star Wars, and. Approaching how much I love the first films, I think. I mean, I want to watch it again, but I really loved it.
0: Right. Yeah. It's kind of like you don't, because I feel the same way about Rogue One and how it's, you know, it's it's become one of my favorite Star Wars films. And you almost feel a little weird allowing it to be at first, you know, because those original films hold such high esteemed places for so long in our minds that it's like, can I do that? Yeah. Is it okay to admit that? No Am one's I really allowed up there on that,
1: that pedestal. No one's allowed up yeah.
0: there. Yeah.
1: They're up there collecting dust. Nobody gets to touch them. <laughs> but to with storytelling
0: like that, dude. Yeah, uh, yeah I loved, really you, they did such a great job of helping you or forcing you almost to care about characters that just come in and out of the story, yeah. right? Just with a little bit of screen time and you're invested in them. Films yeah. don't do that or, you know, it's, it's difficult to do that. And they did it.
1: So. Yeah. I, I'm a sucker for rebellion stories and I feel like, you know, sometimes they've given us some of that, especially through the animated series and things like that over over the last several years. But I feel like seeing, seeing, you know, the the early stages of that is a lot of fun. I'm, I think I'm a sucker for that, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, it's very rage against the machiney. Yeah. And that feels. Awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm like the target audience for that, for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, I just wanted to give a quick shout out uh, to Blood Rider Lindsay. Yes. We've got the newest member of our Kalisar with their little one. I don't know if we should. She probably doesn't care, but she didn't give us permission to share the name. So we won't on the air. But uh, congratulations, Linz. We're proud of you. Your hus- Husbo as well, who also hasn't given us permission. I suppose she hasn't really given us permission, but she's been a Meet the our guest before. And um, I wish I had her episode number in front of me, but it was fun. Yes. It was a blast. It, it was a Tyrion one, I think, if I remember mm-hmm. right. Uh, so yeah. go look for uh, do Control-F, Lindsay, <laughs> on our episode page and you'll find it. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have the numbers memorized. But I bet I can find it quickly. She's got a new Wii one and cute as can be. Just the best cheeks you ever saw in your life. So yes. Congratulations, friend. So proud Very of you. Much so. so proud of you. Um you you're looking for I'm trying to vamp a little bit. You are. I'm I think I'm almost there.
1: Episode 114, Golden Hand the Just, featuring Lindsay.
0: There it is. There it is. Check it out. It was a really fun one. It was. Um, okay. so we, Scab- we dive in? Yeah. yeah. Today we're, t- we're covering one of my
1: favorite chapters, and I'll be honest. Well, I'll cover that later, but it's one of my favorite chapters. I really enjoy it for a few reasons, but it's Tyrion 3 of A Storm of Swords in which we see just how effective Tywin is at running the kingdom, at least effective at getting what he wants. What his family needs. Yeah. Tywin navigates proposed alliances, traitor traitorous citizenry, a royal wedding, new marriage proposals for his own kiddos, an open position on the small council, and decades old family quarrels. He navigates all that quickly and effectively, with little disagreement from the council. Uh but are there a few roaches in the rushes, as Tyrion says? Yeah, maybe a few. We'll we'll talk we'll talk some more about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the good of the realm or the good of Hell's Lannister. Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would love to hear from you, as always. So find us at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com, uh, Facebook. You can find us on Twitter all the time, at Davos Fingers, or uh, check out patreon.com slash Davos Fingers, especially as we get that kicked off again. Scad, we asked this of all our Meet the Calisar guests, <laughs> how can your adoring... Fans, get in touch with you. Yeah, bring the adoration.
1: I'm ready for it. Uh, I, I am I am a, not a great follow, I'll be honest, on Twitter. Uh, I am oh, at, now. at Scott at 15, uh, at scottat one um, That's my personal Twitter, but you can also find me just on the Dalvis Fingers account. That's at Dalvis Fingers. Uh, I have the Facebook, but I'm almost never on it. Yeah, you're not. I probably have dozens of requests for friends. For I mean I, I haven't really been on it constantly in probably 2 or 3 years now.
0: I can um, I get to keep up with your family's exploits through through Aowen <laughs> being friends well, with her on Facebook and thank goodness for her. Yeah. Thank goodness for her.
1: Right? I you probably know what's going on with my family more than more than I do. We'll get into that later. What? In
0: okay. <laughs> Shall we dive in. Let's do it, man. Let's. Uh, yeah. So Tyrion, three of a sauce. Take us there, Skatty. Tyrion joins
1: the room and seats himself in the king's normal spot, the opposite end of the table, uh, as his father is about to sit. The room fit, fills with the other members, Lord Redwine, Lord Tyrell, Lord Rowan, Queen Regent Circe, his sister, Grandmaster Maester Pycelle, his uncle Kevin, the High Septon,
0: and this one other guest. Oh, yeah. Lord Tywin himself, Hand of the King now. Why is Tyrion even there? We'll get to that. Uh, They make their greetings, all of them giving Tyrion tepid congratulations on his chain and his bravery on the Blackwater. And Tyrion consoles Kevin on his son Lancel's precarious condition after his own injury at that same battle. But after the pleasantry, Cersei would like to get down to business. The business of the king's wedding. Not so fast, as
1: Tywin. War comes first. And Varys has delicious news on that. Randall Tarly has smashed Robert Glover near Duskendale, killing Hellman Tallhart and capturing many others. Glover himself running tail between his legs back to Harrenhal.
0: It's a good victory, but they wonder how they can translate that victory that to victory over Rob, who continues to frustrate them in the field. For the moment, Rob has returned to River Run after overrunning the Western Hills Lannister lands. And Mace Tyrell insists that Rob will surely head north to reclaim his own lands, which are, as you'll remember, currently under siege by the Greyjoys. And speaking of the
1: Greyjoys, Balin, the head of that house, has offered an alliance in exchange for acknowledged kingship over all land north of the Neck. He's already essentially conquered it anyway, and his ships might be useful. Opinions vary on the Council about whether this is a good deal, this alliance, but Tywin demurs, leaving the question for later.
0: Yeah, Tywin would rather talk about another complication, the eerie. Liza Aaron has yet to swear fealty to Joffrey, uh, trapped Tyrion in her sky cells recently, and exists nigh untouchable in her fortress beyond the gates of the moon. But Tywin has an idea of how to unlock that gate with no conflict at all.
1: Yeah, Peter. Peter Baelish, Littlefinger, Newly made Lord of Harrenhal... Will, pro- will propose marriage to Lysa and deliver the Eyrie, the Eyrie to the crown without so much as a sword being lifted. And, as a bonus, he will make sure that the young Robert grows up a true friend of the crown. Everyone is so eager to agree to this path, despite its risks, that Tyrion starts to wonder if he's the only one that didn't know about this plan ahead of time.
0: Hmm. So much so that he walks right into the trap laid for him. How will the crown pay its debts without Lord Peter? He is our Wizard of Coin, and we have no one to replace him, Tyrion asks. Trap set, and now sprung, as Tywin informs Tyrion that he will be the new Master of Coin.
1: Yeah, the eerie settled, Lord Rowan turns the conversation back to the Greyjoy offer again. But Tywin is quick to turn it away once again. After all, why promise him the North in payment for fighting the Starks? He's doing that already. Let him keep doing it and say nothing and a better opportunity still yet might present itself.
0: Yeah, this open-ended method of dealing with a problem raises Tyrion's suspicions, though, and he wonders what other plans Tywin may have set in motion with all his late-night letter-writing. But before he can puzzle it out, they move on to wedding planning. What a wedding it will be.
1: Yeah, a thousand guests in the main hall, plus a bunch more in the tented yard, and a Dornish retinue is even on the way, much to the chagrin of Mace Tyrell of the long-standing beef with all things from Dorne. And he has good reason, Matt. Tell our good good listeners why.
0: You got it. The Viper, Oberyn Martell, uh, broke heir to Highgarden and my boyfriend, Willis Tyrell's leg in a tourney when they were younger. Now Tywin is insistent that they let these old wounds heal and welcome Dorne to the wedding and to the small council. Tyrell blusters a bit. Yeah. Tywin calms that
1: blustering by divvying up the spoils of war. Mace himself was rewarded most handsomely for his part, with the other lords around the table also gaining lands and financial incentives for their loyalty. All of these lords really in the reach.
0: Hmm, interesting. (laughs) Uh, Varys next tries to report on news from far-reaching places across the Narrow Sea, but Tywin isn't really interested, keeping the focus close to home. He inquires about Tyrek, his missing nephew, but no trace of him has been found. Oh, Tywin also sentences some previously deserting gold cloaks to have their kneecaps broken as visual lessons to others that might stray from their loyalty to the crown. Tyrion
1: and Varys quibble a bit with this, wondering if it might be better to send these men to the wall. But Tywin again keeps the focus here on King's Landing. If the, wild thing, if the wildlings break through the wall, that is up to these new claimants to the north to figure it out. If they want to rebel, they can handle the wall and the wildlings that might come through. And with that, the meeting of the Small Council is concluded.
0: <laughs> what a fascinating meeting. Yeah. So, it's an interesting chapter
1: that I chose here, and there's a question later about why I chose it, but so we'll, we'll wait to cover that, but it's just a, in the, in eight pages, Tywin deals, he, he, just, I'll do a quick bullet list here. He avoids conflicts with the Greyjoys, while comforting Red wine and ceding nothing to the Greyjoys, while also managing to keep the Starks busy and distracted about their homeland. Avoids conflict with the Eerie by leveraging a newly made great lord to woo Lysa. And he throws back in, it's not in the summary, but he throws back in the honor of Warden of the East being returned to, to little Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, remember we talked about Interesting. that. Interesting, yeah. In the episode just covered, uh, in episode 137 of this podcast, about Robert Baratheon, the not even any more recently deceased Robert Baratheon, uh, having removed that title from Little Robert Aaron, and he's promising to return it here. Uh, he uses the now-idle Tyrion to fill a necessary role as Master of Coin. He puts hundreds of years long quarrel between Tyrell and Martell to rest and Cows of blustery Mace, all while carving out an expectation for to sit to, for a Martell to sit on the, of the Small Council as well. He confirms and reinforces relationships with those in the room by giving him land and money orders a new crown for the High Septon, and punishes gold cloak traders publicly to reinforce the strength of the population. So it's just a very efficient, well-oiled machine with not a lot of... If you compare it to, like, Circe's small councils where it's just this fumbling confusion, or, you know, Robert's, where there, there were clearly a lot of different agendas kind of being laid out and kind of squabbled over, and Robert himself was basically... Not there at all. This is this one is one agenda
0: control. It's yeah. one
1: agenda, his path, and everyone's just kind of on board.
0: Yeah. Other people might be thinking different things, but they're not going to bring it up. Yeah, and they're not going to get their way. Yeah, that's a, I'm glad you laid all that out because it's really kind of mind boggling to look at that. There's two things that Tywin does that I think increase that efficiency. One is he has pre meetings, right? Tyrion alludes to this, yeah. him and Kevin game plan, I think, the whole meeting. And, yeah. you know, we don't ever get any insight into what that might have looked like, although it would be very fascinating to see what one of their pre-meeting meetings would look like between Kevin and Tywin. But I have a feeling that it's almost like, well, if you say this, Mace Tyrell is going to say this. So how do we respond to that? I'm going to respond by doing this. And then we're going to, and they just build on top of each other till, okay, let's go. And then they yeah. execute.
1: Tyrion's savvy enough to, and has experience enough with these two people to kind of see that that's what's happening, that, that they're kind of feeding off each other. And, um, you know, Kevin is pushing Tywin's agenda. Uh, there's even a note, I think it's in the second half of this chapter, but there's a note that indicates that Kevin actually <clears throat> looks, looks to him and is given mm-hmm. a nod and continues on with the path instead sort of like like uh you know, he's just waiting, just waiting for his cue. And then right. he just goes yep. right, he just he knows the next step. So mm-hmm. I agree completely. They're they're in sync. And um, you know, it, it's it's very much like Tywin, right? To to do this. All the letter writing, all the pre planning that he does throughout the phases, your wonderful breakdown of the Red Wedding, you know, indicating really what you believe and what you convinced me of that he started this, he started this campaign for the Red Wedding much, much earlier, right? With with contacts, maybe backdoor contacts, but contacts throughout. Yeah. To, to start feeling out how unsettled things were and where, where the opportunities might be. He's doing this all the time. He knows what Rowan wants. He knows which people he needed to bring to the small council to make sure they were satisfied so they could go tell all their friends, well, it's it's turning out okay, and oh by the way. Other vassal, you're getting this little piece, right? He's got all this planned out, and it's Mm -hmm. it's striking.
0: Yeah, you. I mean, I hate the guy, and you have to give that to him that he is well prepared. He's not just going to walk into a meeting like Robert Baratheon did and bluster and yell and da 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 -da and get his way. (laughs) He's already got it figured out. And another thing that I like is he he includes others in the meeting without counseling with them or even asking for their opinions. He'll say, "Okay, Varys, tell me about the war or whatever. Give yep. me facts." And he allows he knows it Varys. All. He does. Yep, he allows <laughs> Varys to talk about it. Yep. And then he doesn't he doesn't do any of this like, "So what does everybody think we should do?" Yeah. Nope, he just says, yep. "Done. This is it." Right.
1: <laughs> and 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 even when people do you know, put up uh, there's one point where uh Mace Tyrell talking, oh, Mace Tyrell a little bit with the Dornish. There's one point where Redwine is talking about uh, you know, the Greyjoy ships and how they'd be a great help to to augment his fleet. And really I think maybe Redwine's like a little worried about the Greyjoy fleet, right? Like let's a lot let's a yes. lie with them because they're one really of on the only threats to my whole my island thing grand. going on. Absolutely. Right. And so um you know he he puts those things e- even when people do quibble and and make suggestions that he doesn't want. He just puts it
0: down, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's like, prepared, prepared for it. it. He's, pre- yeah, that's probably something he and Kevin talked about. Yeah. Paxtor Redwine will say something right. about the ships. And- it's also like, it doesn't hurt that he's, he's usually right.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, the Greyjoy thing is, is, is a great example of that. Like, why should they acknowledge anything Greyjoy is doing? He's doing it already. What benefit do they really get? Right. You know, he's busy. He's, ta- he's, his energy is being consumed. He, he doesn't have anything else to offer you in the current war that you're fighting. Let him just keep doing what he's doing, right? Yeah. It uh, makes sense.
0: It does make sense. There's some things that you alluded to this, too, uh, before. It makes sense for House Lannister, but that's it, right? Yeah. It doesn't make sense for the realm. Um,
1: he, I think he's making sure it makes sense for the Reach at the moment, too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> through these gifts and everything yep. I, I, yeah. think, Softening I think he, them up I think he sees how close they were to ruin right and knows that this you know before before this part in the war the reach armies were you know it's a it's a it's an area of the country that's fat to bursting with food they've had little conflict you know they're they're capable and he needs to strengthen strengthen that alliance right and uh, so I think he's making sure they're happy too but the focus is for sure all it's 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 like a it's concentric circles right joffrey my family you know protective ring around that and it just can, goes out and out but he's really just focusing on those first few rings until i and i think until they get
0: until you know, they get their way out of the, out of the yeah. war
1: right and right. yeah under more control
0: cuz like you look at the, his his situation to the north Yes, with the Greyjoy situation, why give them anything? Let them fight themselves. And, of course, I think we know that his backdoor plan is to allow Roose Bolton to just return to the north and take care of that problem for him so he doesn't have to do anything, right? Yep. Um, But at the same time, you you look at the good of the realm type thing, and he's like, let the wall fall. I don't care if the wildlings come. Compare and contrast. I can't believe I'm doing this, Scad. Compare and contrast with Stannis. What does Stannis say when there's trouble at the wall? I better go. I better go earn. It's my kingdom. Yeah. I can't earn, believe earn this I'm kingship that I think I should have. Putting Stannis on a pedestal right here. But when Stannis saw a problem, even if it was far away, it was part of his kingdom. So he was going to go and do it. Yeah. And yes, it's, he was desperate for allies and saw an opportunity with, with the North, right? But he did it.
1: Yeah. He Tywin,
0: was, screw it it was kind of out of desperation
1: for him too, but also it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So like he gets points for it, you know, yeah. like, we shouldn't take them away just because it also happened to be convenient for him. Um, <laughs> because I yeah, love I, railing <laughs> on
0: status any chance I can get. And yeah, got I feel icky right now.
1: <laughs> I think you're, you're honing in on, on something that I've got written down here too. I think the biggest flaw that Tywin has, and I, you know, maybe he wouldn't always be this way, but now, He's very focused on King's Landing and the things right around him, but yeah, he doesn't think worldly enough. I mean, there, there's the moment with he um, with Varus where Varus starts reporting on on you know a kraken fought a fought a big whale and these armies are joining together in in Essos and three headed dragons. There are and- dragons and yeah, he's he just shuts that down. He's just not interested, and that can work for a time, and it can work in places where magic beings don't exist, but he's being blind to a lot of things here. And that's one of his, one of his thing. I mean, he's the anti-Sam, he's the anti-Marwin, right? They are, they are thinking about like all the possibilities in the world that they're reading about and and seeing. And Tywin's just like, not important. Just deal with the here and now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when Danny comes calling with a dragon, you won't have to worry about it because he dies. But his family's gonna have to contend with that and they didn't yeah. deal with it. They didn't deal with it now. They should they should be developing plans now, and they're not.
0: I agree. I think Varys is doing that on purpose. I think he knows that the three-headed dragon is Danny and her dragons when he says yeah. that. He's you doing think he's it to, purposefully misleading him. Yeah, it's just kind of saying yeah. stuff like that to so that Tywin is gonna cast it off and not think about it. And if it comes up again, he'll go, Oh, that's that thing that Varys told me about the three-that's bull crap. I don't need to worry about that. Or yeah. even the armies that are, the different armies that are fighting each other across the sea. Remember, there's an, an army that they're planning to bring over with Fagon. And yeah. so if he can kind of get him off that scent now too by saying, so these armies are fighting. No, it's not important. It's not important. It will continue to be unimportant when Varys is ready to bring them over with with his allies. And he's so. got deniability. I told you about this, man. Yeah. Definitely not me. I told we you. We talked about this. Yeah. You didn't Remember? want to talk about it. It's not my problem. <laughs> I think um, he's totally doing it, but yeah, stuff like that. Even the, even the, I get what he's saying about breaking the knees to set an example, but it's not very pragmatic. It really isn't. It, this, that guy comes off as a little petty to me. Like take every single one of them and break their knees. No, like Tyrion's right. Send them to the wall. Yeah. Break, break. I don't know how you'd select which ones are going to be the unlucky ones, but yeah, take, take half a dozen guys and break their knees in front of everybody and, yeah. I don't know, but... It, it so doesn't take much. If 10 people see that brutality happen, that spread that story will spread like
1: wildfire. Yeah, 10 or 300, it, it's plenty. You don't need to do it all afternoon with 300 people.
0: <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like, that's they'll get just, the point. That's just petty at that point.
1: Yeah. I, but, I, it leads me to wonder, Like, do you think Tyrion would be better than this at Tywin? Than Tywin is?
0: The problem is Tyrion doesn't have the fear factor. Yeah. the it, Yeah. Um, seriously
1: would stand up to him. He wouldn't have the, the dynamic control over yeah. all these
0: people that Tywin commands. The thing yeah. that Tywin did is he, Castamere, basically. I mean, a few more things too, but that's the big one, is Castamere. And then, you know, there's other things too. The way he put out his dad's paramour yep. after his dad's death. Um, yeah, he has, he has decades of
1: examples of being right. a hard ass that's going to get what he wants. But the
0: guy was never like a war hero, right? No. We know he participated in the War of the Nine Penny Kings. But as far as we know, there was no like distinguishing yeah, event that set him apart as like this great war hero or anything. The way that he's commanded respect is through brutality. Unflinching brutality. That I'm not going to wipe, you know the head of house castamir out i'm gonna wipe out the whole effing house and i'm gonna do it in an awful way right and Tyrion doesn't have that there's times where he's kind of wanted to have it we've seen it in his chapters i wish i could do this like dad did it but he just doesn't so i think he's got the brain for it yes i think he does have the brain for it and probably a better brain for it because he's he he will see some of these angles yeah however he won't ignore them yeah but but he doesn't have the brutality and respect. He doesn't have the which respect, is, which has been earned through some pretty violent measures.
1: It reminds me of a scene in. Uh, did you ever watch the movie The Departed? Oh gosh,
0: this is one I can say yes, I have seen. DiCaprio but it's been... And
1: yeah, Nicholson and mm-hmm. um, Jackie Jack. It's been a long time. Though. They're basically Nicholson's character is a mob boss, and he mm-hmm. he's got a rat basically in his crew somewhere and he doesn't know who it is, but he thinks they're trying to bring him down from the inside. And, and he asks, you know, is it, is it you to DiCaprio? And, you know, DiCaprio said, I don't remember exactly. It's something like, could I be you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. I know I could be you. I know that much, but I don't want to be you. Mm -hmm. Right. And I wonder if Tyrion could be that brutal and that demanding and that, you know, decisive. And to command that type of respect, but I don't think he wants to. Yeah, I agree. Tyrion's terrible. I say it all the time. Tyrion's terrible in all the ways. He's really bad in lots of ways, especially as the books progress. But I don't think he wants to be brutal.
0: Nope. Right? Nope. I think he's had a lot of factors act upon him that have been unfortunate. And that actually gives him a leg up on one thing that Tywin doesn't have is Tyrion's perspective. From the Mm. bottom. You know, yeah, true. Which I yep. think would help him as as a leader, it, well, yeah. like, like you said, seeing those perspectives and those angles. Um, that's something that Tywin simply cannot see and refuses to see. Yeah,
1: we don't talk about Tyrek much. No, I guess it's just kind of it feels it feels almost like a like a given in the fandom that he's not dead and that he's just out there somewhere being hidden. Do you? I figured I'd take a second and just ask you, do you, do you have an opinion on
0: this? I don't have a deep, like step-by-step theory. I think Ferris yeah. has him yeah, squirreled away somewhere. That's kind I of the prevailing only, theory. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I'm not unique in that. It, it feels like that's a good way to keep kind of Tywin constantly, like an itch that he can't scratch. Yeah. I don't know that he bears any real love for Tyrek. But yeah, it's right. that whole House Lannister thing and the image of House Lannister,
1: and it's and, something he can't control too. I bet it's exactly. Tyrion loves kind of lording over him. Yeah, so like it's like that itch that, that Tywin can't,
0: way. and it's his own family. It's your yeah. own family, Ty- Tywin, yeah. and you can't find this kid. No one can. Must be dead.
1: Yeah, you know the the very next chapter uh, after this one, I think, is is the is the K- K- the Catlin chapter mm-hmm. uh, where. Two more phrase are murdered, right by the right. by the Karstarks. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that that follows, um, but uh, yeah, I I wonder if maybe if we think about Varys's goals, and those are somewhat speculative too, to be honest. But it seems like it's you know part of this this Vagon, you know plot
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and creating disruption and chaos so that Targaryens can come back. Yeah, um, whether it's Danny or Fagon or both. Um, but uh, do you think maybe, it, I think maybe the prevailing theory with Tyrek is that he'll just be a puppet Lannister that gets thrown up when all the rest of them are dead.
0: Correct. Yeah, they and take like, out all hey, the Lannisters. Sign here. Mm-hmm. Sign here.
1: You're the head of Lannister now. Congratulations, but you got to sign these things.
0: I feel like maybe we even talked about that a long time ago. Yeah, we may have. Talking Tyrek and that he could be that House Lannister ally um, been a long time those Matt. strings attached those strings attached
1: <laughs> we've had this podcast yeah. for eight years eight eight I don't, years I don't remember eight breakfast this morning years. I can't remember a conversation about Tyrek six years ago mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah uh, <sighs> do you think Cersei uh, can be trusted with Lancel, or is she trying to get rid of him Tyrion has this thought that he yeah. wonders if she's Proactively trying to cause him his doom.
0: Yeah. Um, This goes back to the respect and the fear that Tywin commands. If Tywin wasn't there, I think she would kill him. Yeah. I think she's worried that she would get caught. There's just no escaping this guy. Yeah. He's got his claws so deep in his children, tragically, and in others too, that he has them... They're afraid, they're they're afraid,
2: yeah.
0: So that's my answer. If if Tywin wasn't there, I think she'd kill him.
1: It's funny. (laughs) I mean, it's not funny. But we'll talk more about the finite family dynamic in the second half. I think
0: it's not funny at all. You're right, but (laughs) but it's
1: just how 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 much little incident, not little. I shouldn't call them little at all. How much old incidents. Mm-hmm. still still cause changes in current behavior, right? Yeah. Like you can't absolutely. shake these things. We'll come back to it.
0: Which is crazy because if Lancel talks, she's screwed too. But she's so just like, almost like she's scared stiff. She can't act in one way yes. or another.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because of dad looming. Yeah. Yeah. She's
1: frozen. Uh-huh.
0: It would be better to uh, kill him, frankly, if you could pull it off. For sure, yeah. Would it for remove her. a would it remove a
1: loose end, right? For big time loose end. Um, tr- do you think we're going to get ever Tyrion's plan for the mountains of the moon and how to take it? Like, I don't is that know. a is that a shotgun on the wall that we're gonna? In Dream of Spring, he's going to have to invade Peter in the in the mountains of the Moon, and has this plan. And
0: potentially, know. I just want
1: to see it. I want to know what, I want to yeah. George, if George really had something in his cabeza when he wrote this chapter mm-hmm. about how Tyrion would do that, or whether it was just bluster.
0: Yeah. Well, we've got one of the things is is those hill clansmen that yeah. just they're such a big part of the narrative. Through Game of Thrones and Clash of Kings of Tyrion's narrative. And
1: then they're just gone.
0: They're gone as quickly as they arrived. Like like now, right? Now yeah. is
1: about when they disappeared. Like Tyrion takes mm-hmm. this wound at the Blackwater, and then all his all the power that he's kind of built up in King's Landing just kind of it just kind of dissipates. It just it yeah. just goes away. It's weird.
0: No, yeah. so that's a good point. It feels like a loose end that or something that wasn't neatly tied up with a bow that yeah. has to come up again. We got to see <laughs> Chella again,
1: you know? I'd like to. I'd like to. Yeah. Those mountain clans were fun. They are fun. It's, that's one of my favorite chapters, actually. That cat chapter. Or is it a Tyrion chapter? It's a Tyrion chapter where they're going, where they're riding through the the pathway up to the, up to the Eyrie. Mm-hmm. I love that chapter.
0: Should have picked that they chapter. a fight the battle scene. Yeah. yeah. It's a funny. battle scene, but
1: it's more than just a battle scene. It's right, easy yeah. befriending befriending Braun and mm-hmm. we're talking about the history of
0: the area and
1: you know all those things.
0: Yeah. Yep. So uh, go ahead. We talked about Kevin a little bit. What a fascinating character. Which, in, in how not that, fascinating he is. <laughs> well, that's what makes him fascinating, yeah. is that there doesn't seem to be much in it for him. You know, we've talked about before how he holds no great lands. He's sitting here hearing about Mace Tyrell getting all this crap and Kevin has nothing really like he's got, and I'm sure he's set up for life with money and everything, but in terms of like a great castle or something, you don't see Kevin Lannister, at, you know, having these huge incomes and all this great fame and everything. It just, there doesn't seem to be much in it for all the work he puts into the kingdom. Is he just Scad the ultimate, like, little brother? Is he caught in that web of Tywin's? What is it? We don't, you know, I don't think we have a lot of evidence, but I think so. I think,
1: you know, Tywin has a way, and again, we'll come back to this more with the family stuff later, I think. But Tywin has a way of just kind of putting you in your place. Like basically through abuse, right? Like berating yeah. you and making you feel worthless, and that the only thing you can possibly do is operate within the sphere that he puts you and makes you feel comfortable in. And if you deviate from that, you're gonna be uncomfortable and ineffective and get nothing and be frankly abandoned by him and then have you'll have nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, Kevin is if if you believe that part, if you believe that narrative for him, he's almost more sad than than Tywin's kids. He's been bullied since youth to be this lackey essentially for, for, for Tywin that does what he's told and doesn't know anything else. Right. And so it's, it's, it's interesting to see him in the later books after Tywin's dead. And like, he's kind of trying to assume some responsibility, but like, he doesn't, doesn't really know if it's his place. Like, to be honest, if he knew, if he wasn't in a, you know, maybe this narrative is incorrect, but if he's, if he wasn't, a victim of abuse himself, he could probably just step in and start taking over on Cersei and Tyrion and Jaime just the way Tywin did by mimicking the behaviors, just being like, I'm the new head now. Mm -hmm. This is how it goes. He certainly
0: saw enough of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have the, you know, the, the sort of panache for it, maybe, or like the domineering spirit. But, you know, you wonder, like, because he kind of... He kind of like throws little barbs out as like, I'm not going to do Hand of the King unless you do these things. And, but it all feels kind of very passive. Like, I'm not that interested in being in control. I'm not that interested in doing any of these things. I'd like to help the family. But it's, it's almost like when Tywin dies, he's kind of directionless.
0: Right. He's like, yeah, he's got his – he has like this morality to him a little bit and a stubbornness. I just Sword remember that – <laughs> well that dinner scene with Cersei where they eat together and she's gonna try to manipulate him. Remember oh. that one? And she mm-hmm. and he's like, No, I'm not gonna yeah. do it. Yeah. And I know about you and Jamie. Yeah. And that's wrong, you know? And, yeah. and he's like he's standing for something when I say morality, he's like he's standing for something. He's drawing a line in the sand, but to what end? Yeah, you he know? doesn't do anything with it. It's not right. like he like, he doesn't take it to any sort of ending. It's just like he just kind of throws it out there and Which on one hand, I I appreciate him standing for something. I think that can be something that we can appreciate, especially when it comes to Cersei. It's just fun uh, to see her being like losing it so much that she throws food in his face or wine. I think it's wine. And um, but this is the Game of Thrones. And if you're going to do that, you're going to take a crossbow bolt to the. Yeah. And, And he does. And he does. Which is funny because actually Tywin does too. So, yes, <laughs> even if you do have a game plan, you still oh, are yes. in danger of taking yeah. one. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And we'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk more about about that too.
0: Uh, anything else for this section? Um, we get some little Red Wedding hints, which Red Wedding is really interesting mm-hmm. to me. So, just wanted to call those out real quick. Um, Tyrion watched his father closely. There's something he's not saying. He remembered those important letters Lord Tywin had been writing. This comes after they say, granted enough time, a better option may well present itself. Yeah. One that does not require the king to give up half his kingdom. Yep. yep. Um, There's another one where it says, his realm is still plagued by would-be usurpers and self-styled kings. They're speaking of Joffrey. And then Varys says, which gives you some insight into maybe what Varys might know, but not for long, I think. Mm. Said Varys unctuously.
1: Yeah, you're. You think Varys knows the Red Wedding is coming?
0: Well, he knows something's coming. I think with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it feels. It feels even without knowing it, it feels like the war is kind of coming to a close. Sure. Right. It feels that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, Stannis is still doing his thing, and maybe that's something I'm getting from the benefit of having read it multiple times.
0: Maybe not. No, I agree. It does feel, you know, we're starting to, we've got 47 lesser lordlings and 610 knights who are now apparently just homeless. <laughs> <laughs> the that's amount true. of paperwork that would go into oh, that. Oh, man.
1: Yeah. No, thanks. Robert at this meeting. Yeah.
0: But, um, I think that's all I got. Okay. Um, I think that's about all I have, too. Oh, Um, interesting small council, by the way. Oh, yeah. I looked up these. Is it maybe the biggest small council we've ever seen? Right. It seems huge. I was trying to, like, determine who was who and everything. And finally, I went to the resource to look at, like, what these guys are listed as. Redwine, Rowan. Yeah, just those two. And I guess Tyrion at this point are listed as advisors. They're just, like, special advisors. They're not a... Master of anything, yeah. Um, at this point, Mace Tyrell is master of ships, which that makes sense when you got Paxter Redwine on the council with you. Whatever, yeah, yeah. Kevin is the master of laws, which makes sense. Him bringing up the stuff about what do I do with these gold cloaks and stuff like that. But I mean, Cersei's the queen consort, uh, so she kind of gets an invitation. Same with the High Septon, like I guess.
1: It's kind of weird, right? Yeah. It's, it's, they're not, Queen Regent is not a normal high, small council position, right? Mm-hmm. Grandmaster usually is. The High Septon seems hit or miss, maybe? Right. He's well, another we one. We always have him. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's almost like Kevin, Kevin wants Kev, all these people. What's Kevin doing? He's a master of laws. So he's got yeah, a job, I guess. But. Yeah, okay. But he just does whatever time it says. It's almost like yeah. Tywin wants all those people in there, though. Well... Because then he can command them, and they can see him commanding, and it adds to his aura and everything.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, even with the divvying of the lands, I think he just thinks they're they're the key members mm-hmm. that need to get rewarded most, and then things filter out from there. And so that's yeah. probably why they're there.
0: He doesn't need
1: they're, their they're approval the on anything. Yeah. yeah. But they're the influencers to the people below. In the That's region, true, right? Yeah. And they, they can just be kind of key points of like throwing them, throwing them a bone, making them feel included and involved, right?
0: Mm-hmm. <sighs> Love it. Okay, you want to talk about you? Do I have to? Yep. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do it. Let's start it how we always start it, buddy. Who are you, Scad? What do you do? What drives you? Give it to us.
1: Yeah, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, and I'm a shepherd of development projects. Um, I am. I like to think of myself as a storyteller, but I'm more of a story listener these days. Um, I guess my my main, my, the main thing that drives me, I, really, it's simple, is just making sure my family has food and a roof mm. and inspiration to be themselves and... Follow their own paths, I guess, right? To yeah, I love to, that. Turn, to turn them into functional humans, which Functionals. is <laughs> some, sometimes a tall order with my kiddos. I love them. Uh, I speak very honestly about their problems, and you guys will probably hear some of that tonight.
0: Well, let's segue right into that then. Um, oh, yeah. You know I love you, but you married way up, dude. <laughs> <do> <laughs> And you do have two insanely cool boys. Uh, the interactions I've had with them have all been positive from my end. Um, so so you talk honestly about them. What do you love about them? And and but also what it's what is it like to be a parent in twenty twenty two, raising kids to hopefully be functioning adults someday, you know? Yeah, um,
1: Mary is my my elder. For those that don't know, we use code names. Uh Mary and Pippin are the names I've chosen for, for my boys on this cast. And
0: my wife we call Aowen. Uh do your does her, your family know that, by the way? Do you yeah. call them that? <laughs> yeah. I just told mine like the other day I had something I never thought about, and they thought it was hilarious. They loved it. So
1: <laughs> Pippin gets confused about different audiences. Like I'll be about to go out and hang out with like my fantasy football buddies, and he'll be like, tell them Pippin says hi. So, mm-hmm. No, they don't know you. That's not that. It's not. That's the different group. Um. Anyways, I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Mary is a builder. Uh, very creative. He's kind of in his own brain, like a lot. It's hard to mm. get. Hard to kind of get his attention sometimes. Half the time, he's just really not listening to you, and it, it became. It, it was really hard to contend with. It still is sometimes, but it, it was really hard to realize that was what was going on. Now about half that time when he's not listening to me I just kind of relish in it and watch mm. his brain work on whatever it is that it's working on and just kind of smile and just kind of try to wait. I'm I love a really that. Im, I'm a really impatient person though. Like bordering on mania. I mean I, I'm I'm very impatient. And but I try to I try, you know, to let him kind of get wherever his brain was going and then I, you know, I start talking to him again. He's very analytical. He's very bright. He's also a pain in the ass that can't take no for an answer. Mm. Um, he's quite selfish, but he's brilliant.
0: I mean, he's, he's, he's just a little light. Um, Sounds like the ingredients of a very successful person someday. <laughs>
1: maybe, yeah,
0: yeah. Or, yeah, I won't say the or.
1: Uh, Pippin is my little social butterfly. Uh, he becomes friends with everyone quickly, tries to make sure others are included and taken care of. He's kind of, he's kind of the quiet killer though. Like he's super smart. Uh, he doesn't really like, but he's kind of more quiet about it. Like he doesn't flaunt it like, like Mary does. Hmm. Um, he's, he's got this silly sense of humor. It's totally different from mine. It's, it still works. It still lights me up pretty good, but it's totally different from mine. More, Much more silly, more like his mom. Um, he's also a whiny, whiny toddler that hasn't finished something on time ever, like one time in his entire life. Like he, he's just slow at everything. Not his brain. Like his brain is fast and quick, but like he just, he's just so unconcerned with the passage of time and it just <laughs> drives me insane. Um. Yeah, you asked for compare for Aswath comparisons too. That was yeah, weird. yeah. Um, it is hard, right? Yeah, I for and and the, people will think this is bad. I I compared Mary to Theon. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Theon is smart and capable, but he's pretty selfish sometimes. He's way overconfident, like way more confident than he should be. I, I mean, Mary's never met an enterprise that he didn't think he could succeed at. Like, go sell Love $100 it. to the neighborhood kids in Pokemon cards? Sure, why not? Well, because they don't have, like, I don't want you taking their money and, you know, like, they're your friends and you're trying to, they're way too expensive. They're just like, he doesn't see any of those problems. He just knows that he can succeed at them. But but deep inside of him, and I think with Theon too, there's actually a pretty big heart in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mary has the just brightest smile I've ever seen. And Theon is also noted for his smile.
0: Agreed. Yeah.
1: Uh, Pippin, I feel like maybe more like a young Willis. I, I just feel like Pip is, is he's just going to fall into things that he loves. He's mm-hmm. going to find things he loves and he's just going to do them and he's going to be good at them. He's going to be successful at them. People are going to love him for it. And, and you know, damn it. Like sometimes life can just be that simple. Like people could just like the things they do and, be happy about it it. and and I think that's probably what he's going to be and I feel that's Willis kind of right like he's just like oh well yeah the leg thing didn't work out and uh, you know I got these other things that I really enjoy and gosh I'm happy I mean it doesn't help that he's it doesn't hurt that he's one of the richest people in the up, Mm -hmm. you know but like he just kind of rolled with it and he's doing the things he likes and he's happy I think you know we we don't get a lot from Willis there's a lot of happy. he's happy (laughs) I can tell you I make him very um, happy being a parent you know is i don't think i have any pearls you know of wisdom to drop that other people don't already know really but i it's way harder than i ever imagined you know i i knew it would be hard but um you know i i consider it my responsibility to turn them into like i said before functional functional people yeah you know that that can be respectful and respectable and, and operate within the confines of a society, and you know, like, sometimes I'm not sure they'll get there, right? <laughs> and there are so many distractions these days, and you know, I think every generation of parents probably has their own, their own battles, but the technology and, the screens and that's just, the isolation in some ways that I think mm-hmm. they face is, it's challenging, for sure.
0: Super challenging. It's hard. I don't think I realized how hard I'd have to fight for it, you know, to yeah. to turn them in, to help them. I shouldn't say turn them into, but to help them become those functioning yeah. humans, like you said. You have to fight them for it. You yeah. have to be the bad guy. You got to, I, I was telling you before we got on this, that had a good long talk with my 13-year-old daughter, um, that it's like. I have to like drag you kicking and screaming to do this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To help you become your best self. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So you don't understand it now. Hopefully someday you will. and
1: You'll forgive me. Right.
0: Yep. Well, from what I know of your family, you're doing a good job, buddy. Thank you. Speaking of family. Well, maybe not speaking of family. (laughs) I know you're proud of your family. What's something in your life that you're proud of, whether family or not?
1: so I, I got a Bible verse for you, Matt. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And uh, I, I think I, you know, I don't feel proud of much. And I, I know that sounds really down, mm-hmm. you know, and, and negative. Um, I, I think I, I thought about why, that I, why I think that way. And I think it's because I tend to think of being proud of something. You can't really be proud of something until it's like done.
2: Mm, mm-hmm, you know like mm-hmm. it's a
1: finished thing i'm proud of it and nothing ever fucking ends Matt. man yeah it's all it's right. all ongoing and so like i don't yeah, know I how to say, put that's, something that's kind of bleak yeah <laughs> I, I, it is i i don't know I, I i think it's why i feel that way i mean i i think for me like i want to be able to put something aside and be like that's done. put it
0: on the shelf good. is complete yeah
1: right and you know finish the not, lego set right maybe that's not the way i should think about it and i you know I think I am proud. I think maybe this this fits a little bit too, toward that because, um, you know, I I think my boys are very much authentically themselves. Yeah. they don't shy away from conversation with adults. They are who they are. They don't hide hide it. I think I think Aowen and I both put a premium on authenticity and being yourself. And you know, I think I'm proud that they are unapologetically and confidently the people that they are. They're not worried about being weird or they're not worried about, you know, being different or, you know, being into things other people aren't into. They're, they're into what they're into. And they like what they like and they like who they like and they, they're fine with it. And I, I like that. I think for somebody that's, I think I put a lot of, a lot of stress on that myself, because I think, you know, a lot of people doubt themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And, and don't have a good sense of who they are. And that's, luckily, that's not really something I've struggled with much. I've always <laughs> been a very confident person. I always kind of knew what I was about, um, you know, and it's not really something I've struggled with. And it's something that I think is important. And so I guess I'm proud of them for mm. being authentically themselves. So that's my answer for that
0: it's wonderful. I wonder if if that's something that you are like vocally preaching to them, if there are platitudes that you're giving them about being their authentic self or if it's it's if it's more of them just seeing the way you and Eowyn live your your lives as who you are because I know she's very authentic too.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean we are very we are very direct about it's okay to be who you are. Mm-hmm. it's okay for that person over there to be who they are. good. There are differences between us, but we're all we're all still human. we essentially want the same things, you know, and it's it's okay to live your life however you're living it so long as you're not hurting other people i mean that's a that's a message we're hammering daily, you know, if not hourly I mean it's a lot right in this
0: it's, world, you kind of have to right yeah.
1: and so. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is messages. They're probably tired of hearing it, to be honest, but I think probably it's sunk in. Yeah, so I guess mm-hmm. I'm proud of that.
0: I'm going to switch up our questions a little bit because I feel like this one is going to flow naturally. I, one thing I've always admired is your your extreme commitment to being socially conscious, which I know has led to frustration for you at a lot of, uh, many times wondering, like, what can I do with this social consciousness? Like, how can I put that into action, right? And I love that you're even getting frustrated about that. Um, so you live in an area, though, that predominantly does not line up with your belief structure uh, in terms of religion, uh, in terms of politics. And I wonder, what's that like living in Utah when you're not a Republican, you're not a Mormon? Um, I'm one of those things. Uh, but so maybe I see a tiny I'm bit of it. I'm glad it's but just the one, buddy. It is. It is. It um, is. But but tell me what that's like. Well, I think you can, first of
1: all, I think you give me way too much credit about being socially conscious. I am socially aware. Uh, I, I think a lot of things bother me, but I don't do anything. I mean, I I hear, (laughs) really, and I, I'm not, you know, of course I'm not proud of that. Um, you know, it sucks to, to be in a place that, that, you know, kind of goes against a lot of the the things that you believe in and, um, But I kind of, it kind of gives, it's so so far away from where I want things to be that it kind of gives me an easy out to just be like, nothing I can do. I guess I'll just, I'll just bitch and moan and do nothing. My vote
0: doesn't matter.
1: Right. I say that, I say it all the time. I mean, I still vote, you know, I'm still paying attention. I'm still engaged, but I, it's, you know, I don't do anything else. Right. And I think all the time about, you know, I don't. I don't impact the world in any socially positive ways. And, you know, I'm kind of hard on myself for that, but in the end I don't change anything. Right. So I think, you know, I don't want to take any credit really for being socially conscious in -hmm. any way that matters, Mm -hmm. but, but I will say that I don't think I'm unique. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at being, at being honest about my shortcomings. Um, and I, I'm honest about this one. I think most Americans feel the same way. I want things to be different. What can I do to make change? Right, and they all come. Almost everyone comes back with the same answer that they can do sparingly little. And I think it's frustrating for everyone, regardless of where you live. Now, you know, religion. <laughs> I, I used I used to be a battler, right? I would I would go into religious debates and try to convince people and do all sorts of you know conversations and hours at a time, you know, trying to have religious debates. And uh, you know, eventually, I just I just stopped, (laughs) you know, like it doesn't, you know, like we're not going to convince each other. Religion is such a, religion is such a personal foundational element that Mm -hmm. is, you know, branded to your, I don't believe in souls, but branded to your soul, right? Having conversations and expecting change is, it's, it's a little naive to be honest. Sure. So, um, my, my religious sense now is live and let live. And the only time I get frustrated, uh, is when other people aren't doing that. And, and specifically, you know, when religion gets tied up in government and in laws and, in, um, you know, in the way we, we govern the rest of society that might not have those beliefs. Correct. Absolutely. That's, that's the only time I really get frustrated with religion anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, religion doesn't bother me anymore. Uh, maybe one of the few things I've improved with it with it. <laughs>
0: well, that's interesting, man. It's, you know, you talked about how you feel like you can't be proud of something until you've buttoned it up and put it on the shelf, right? You've completed this grand thing. And then you yeah. talk about, you know, being socially conscious to you might mean being able to really affect some sort of big grand scale change, right? Um. So it's interesting that you kind of like to see those big, tied up things, Mm -hmm. um, worthy causes to strive for.
1: Yeah, if only I did a little more striving, a little (laughs) less watching, you know? Uh,
0: It's tough. And it's easy to say those things like, well, we make a difference in our own home, which is very true, right? I mean, you're multiplying you know, your commitment to being yourself and to let others being their self, you're multiplying it by two with, there was one of you and now there's two, you know, there's Mary and Pippin and I know a part in that too. Yeah. But you know what I mean? And so yeah. we, we, hopefully we try to just affect that change even on the smallest of scales, but um, let's turn to some happier stuff. <laughs> you have a lot you're of creative pursuits. <laughs> We have, we both do. We have, you have a lot of creative pursuits though. You've got this podcast you've done for eight friggin' years. Uh, you're writing your own book. I don't know how much headway you've made on it recently. We do a lot of adulting that sometimes takes away from those things. Um, you've become very prolific the past, probably like three years or so that you've really been like DMing D and D type stuff, taking on that rather than simply yeah. playing. Um, so, which obviously that requires a ton of creativity. So what inspires you to create, you know, like who or what do you go to as your muses and and get you yeah. in that zone to make something of nothing? So I love DMing. Uh,
1: I haven't done it now for probably almost a year. Really? Uh, the group, I, 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 I folded the group that I was DMing for for various reasons, but one of them was just, I was I was too busy to do it. Too busy to do it. I wasn't willing to put in the time anymore to do it as well as I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm I'm probably like, I don't mean this actually negatively about myself. It's not a bad thing, but I'm kind of like the worst case scenario for a DM, right? I mean, mm. uh, not necessarily, but DMs should be very prepared, right? But I am meticulous. I would spend hours and hours and hours preparing for for one session, right? And I've talked to other DMs, and they're like, man, you, you just got to roll with it. Like, this is a game. You know, like, you just set up the structure and prepare, you know, and be ready for things, but just roll with it. You're you're playing a game. And I don't, you know, I want to have everything laid out. I want to know every path they could possibly take and map it out and understand where the, where it could go. And that's, think about it. It's like, it's just like humanity. You can make whatever choices you want to make. <coughs> I mean, you can set up a whole adventure for them to go explore this Dracula mansion and they see a tree off in the distance and they're like, I'd like to go pick that tree instead. <laughs> and you're like, great, let's let's do that and let's make it interesting for you. So you it's really hard to prepare enough for all the all the ins and outs and I like I liked to try to be as ready for everything as I could. So it took a lot of time and energy and I liked doing it. Um, but I just, I, I've stopped and I, I'd like to get back into it maybe in a different way, um, you know, that allow me to, to do it less often, but still prepare in depth. Um, anyway, but my, my muse is for that. What I, what I really like about d d is the role playing component, right? Um, and for me, you know, I, I've talked not shy about, you know, uh, promoting critical role on this show. I've mentioned it a lot of times. For me, for D&D, Liam O'Brien and Laura Bailey are they're two actors uh, that are on Critical Role, and they're my muse for D&D. Well, what I want most of all is to be able to build a story and have two actors like that play it and just live in this world I've made with their beautiful characters and their beautiful timing and humor. That's, that's what I want, and I'll never get that, right? But that's kind of what you aim for, and you know, you end up with something still good. The novel is uh the, the novel's not going anywhere. <laughs> so so I think I think my sister inspired me to write to some degree. Maybe it's like we don't have a huge sibling rivalry or anything, but it was like she can write, maybe I can write. Mm-hmm. And I can't. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm 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 quite bad at it. I have like fifty-five pages of a zombie novel that's called The Family. I've shared a chapter two with a handful of people in the Khalasar that have been interested with Mixed results, but but the thing is, I know it's bad. Like I know it's not good. I know it would need a crazy amount of editing and, and more time, and I get so little time to work on it. It's it's literally something that like once or twice a year I'll dust off and go try to make some progress, just to kind of get a creative outlet, right? But it's not real. It's more of a it's a distraction, right? But it is fun. That's good. Um, and I That's like good. it. I just don't get to do it nearly enough. And the podcast, you know, we've told this story before, but the, this podcast was inspired just because I wanted to be, become real friends with you and Diddles, right? Like that was that was the muse for the for this podcast to me was I wanted friendship with you guys, and for sure. Uh, and I think continuing to do it is the same. It's just wanting to maintain that friendship with you and with you know with the Calisar, and you know I got all the muses I need out there on in in, in the Twitterverse, right?
0: We got plenty of them. Yeah, we do. I love yep. that. I had a feeling Critical Role was going to come up in this. So. Yeah, I'm nothing if not predictable. <laughs> well, I just know you. I just know you. That's true. You do know me. Um, <laughs> soccer is center stage right now, or football, for those mm-hmm. <laughs> anyone outside of the United States of America. Yep. Uh, which is, which was, is a big part of your life. You're a soccer guy. You played. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're playing too much now. But uh, tell us about what kind of soccer player you were. Some of your exploits. Um, what do you think about the World Cup? You know, talk about all that stuff for a little bit. Yeah.
1: So we're recording uh, the night before, before
0: quarterfinals. Uh, Quarters. Yeah. Brazil yeah. plays tomorrow morning. Tomorrow.
1: We'll yep. Be watching that one. Who are they? Who are they against? The fact that I'm asking you. Croatia. Croatia. So I haven't watched much. I watched uh, I watched two of the U.S. games. I watched the Play England, and I watched their, their round of 16 match. But That's all I've watched. I haven't watched a minute beyond that. And, you know, I'm not judging anybody that is, but it's, it's just not my cup of tea for this year. I can't really watch without just thinking about the guitar, the whole mess, about yeah. getting that World Cup and how it – how it played out and what they've had to do. And so I, I just haven't, I just haven't been engaged and
0: a mess to say the
1: least. Yep. But, but you know, that that's me. I, I, I'm not trying to make anybody else feel bad. Right. For, for, sure. I just, I just can't yep. get my, my brain can't really get in the space before. You know, I, I've had that problem with, with our shows too. Right. With, with uh game of Thrones. I can't get my head in that space. I wanted in the book space and I can't, yeah, you know, I, I can't get my brain out of out of these problems. But, you know, I do know some stuff. I know what's going on. France is still in it, and they've got, you know, one of the best, maybe the best player in the world right now in Papé. So, you know, they'll, I guess I'll pick them to win it. But uh, I don't really have a lot. I don't really have a lot of, like, knowledge from watching the games. Um, yeah, I used to play. I played up until I was 34, 35, I think. Yeah. Um, My hips are busted now and I can't play for sure now, but, uh, I was a good little player. You know, I was never the best guy on my team. I was frequently the captain or leader of the team for a while. I just, for a while, for the whole time I I ran our men's league team. Like I I managed it basically, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, as a player, I I turned the ball over a lot (laughs) trying to like make that magic pass. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like I try, I try high level difficulty back okay. passes. that channels with what we've talked about with you tonight. Yep. And I made, I made a lot of them. Too. I made a lot of them. Right. I was pretty good at them, but but I made, I turned the ball over a lot. Yeah,
0: high risk, um, high reward. Mm-hmm.
1: I was always one of the smarter players on the team about the game and how it worked and positioning, and all those kinds of things. One of the most skilled guys on the ball on the team. Always. I can still. I mean, I still think I could go out. Maybe not. Maybe I should try it. But I th- I still think I could go out even with my bad hip and hit a guy on the head 30 yards away if I wanted to, you know? Um, but I was slow, man. I mean, I, I was compared to other soccer players. I was very slow. And so mm-hmm. I was never going to be like a great player. Um, but, uh, you know, and I had terrible endurance, just awful, just <laughs> really bad, really bad. Endurance. <laughs> um, but I, but I was a good player, right? I mean, like, it was still worth having me on the team. I was, you know, I was, I was a good player. Yeah, yeah. Um, you filled a role.
0: Filled a couple my, of roles.
1: My favorite memory from soccer that I think kind of highlights the type of player I was. It was later in my playing days and it was actually indoor. And the ball was spinning. like, really, like it, it had Just taking like a deflection off of two people and the ball was spinning very fast. Like a,
0: like a planet.
1: Yes, around like this, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And also toward toward the wall. And there was an opponent that was kind of closer to the ball than me. We were both going toward it, and I could tell by how fast it was spinning that it was going to kiss the wall and come toward me. Like I, in the moment, like I saw that. I'm like, it's going to come toward me. And yeah. I knew I was going to get there first, and so I just got there first, hit it right off the wall around the guy, went around him, and passed to another player and scored. And it was just because, be- because of the the heady nature of the way I played the game. Like I was always looking for those kinds of things. Right. It was. It was always looking for advantages like that. Tactical advantages, spatial advantages, things like that. That's the kind of player I was. And I think I sound really conceited
0: right now. No, I love that. That's uh, that's what makes the, the great players, right? That they're able to slow the game down almost. Like yeah. almost you're able to see that in slow motion for a second and analyze that and make a decision based on that, you know? Yeah. That's... What this, that's what Wayne Gretzky said made him great is that he wasn't the best player. He wasn't the fastest in every, but he saw things happen before other players saw them happen. And so he was right. able to get to the right places at the right time, or he was able to put the puck in the right place at the right time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And slow that down and make it happen. So. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. It's definitely not a skill I have in sport no. or in life in general. So <laughs> I definitely don't have it in life. <laughs> um, well, I'm turning off my camera, but I'm still listening. I just want to try to fix my lamp that turned off. Go but for it. while I'm doing that, yes. tell us why you chose this chapter. What do you love about it?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I actually, I struggled to pick a chapter. Um, I, I don't think I realized how hard it was that we were asking our calendar to do this. It did take me a minute. I was going to do, one of the chapters I really love is the Tyrion chapter in Clash of Kings. Uh, where he's running around to Pycelle and Littlefinger and Varys and trying to see which one was going to go to Cersei with his secret. I thought about doing that one. I also thought about doing that, the Sam's Trudging chapter where he kills the other. I've always really liked that chapter. Um, but I landed on this one, and I landed on it because it's right smack dab like in the middle of the series. It's it's literally almost you know two and a half books into a five book now series, and it it's kind of paints a picture of where this whole realm is going with Tywin in control. And we get a moment at the end of this book where Tyrion kills his father and sets, sets the whole thing on fire, right? This, this, you know, Feast for Crows and The Dance of Dragons were going to go a completely different way. Tywin has this thing on lockdown, right? And I wanted to remind people, maybe, to listen to this, how truly effective he is at right. doing these things and keeping keeping the direction in the way he wants it to go and how this realm was going to really end up without, without that happening, without Tyrion killing him. Because he's got Cersei under control, he's got the council, you know, at his beck and call, and he's he's managing it. And then we see we fast forward to the feast chapters where Cersei's in control, and it takes her like one council meeting to just lose control. Right? It's unraveled. She doesn't have power. <laughs> she ends up, you know, getting rid of anybody that has any actual value and appoints yes men that can't actually get anything done. And it becomes more of like a yes a, a yes ma'am session, right? Mm-hmm. Like and it's so disparate from this chapter that is it reads like a well-oiled machine and that that meeting ran like a well-oiled machine. Yeah. And so the, the contrast of where they were headed and where they end up in King's, in King's Landing I think is really interesting. And that's why I chose the chapter.
0: Ooh, that's fascinating. Put that on our what if episode list. Yeah. What if Tywin had just been able to stay alive first of all? What if
1: what if Tyrion missed yeah. <laughs> or, you know, he couldn't reach the crossbow or, you know, I don't
0: know. Right. Whatever. Tywin didn't have to use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Fascinating. Fascinating. I hope we uh, get more into that as we go through this next part. But, well, thank you, Scad. Sure. Like I've always said, this is my, my favorite part of Meet the Kallisar is talking to the members of the Kallisar. And this one was no exception. I learned new things about you that I didn't know. Yes. After eight years. And more to come. And more to come. <laughs> get ready. Get ready. Because some of the questions I came up with were doozies. Oh, man. All right. Uh, should we get into part two of this? Let's do it. As the council is Now you is got me more excited. Sorry. Okay.
1: Go. No, it's all right. Go. As the council is departing, Tyrion requests that his family stay behind to discuss further matters. He reassures Tyrion about becoming Master of Coin, but insists that it was actually Peter's idea. Tyrion argues that Peter is not to be trusted, that he will find a way to sell them down the river.
0: But the rest of his family isn't convinced, and Tywin quickly shuts down a squabbling spat between he and Cersei in order to bring the discussion to order. On cue, Kevin jumps in that Peter has been loyal, even yesterday bringing them news of the plot to send Sansa away to Highgarden to marry my crush, my man. Willis Tyrell. You stay away from him, Sansa Stark. (laughs) Cersei is beside herself. Sansa is hers.
1: She would never let them take Sansa. But the situation is politically fraught. If Mace were to be refused, he would feel untrusted. It could unravel this whole House of Card Alliance thing that they've got going on with the Reach and the Stormlands.
0: And Tywin can't have that, nor can he have Direwolf and Rose united. But as always, he has a solution to the problem. Cersei! Cersei! More specifically, Cersei's own marriage to forestall any other wedding plans. What a reason yeah. to get married. What a reason to get married. Uh, but Cersei's not having it. She agrees with you.
1: That is no reason to get married. Flatly refuses it. Tywin and Kevin go on the offensive. She is still young and fertile and should not be lonely for the rest of her days. A new husband and new children are needed to put the bastard slander of Stannis to rest. And oh, by the way, Tywin adds, because I said so.
0: Because Cowed. I said so. Yep. Cowed, cowed, she sits and listens to her options. The young Greyjoy, Quintum Martell. The red wine twins, hobber and slobber, right? Mm -hmm. Or wait for it. Here it is, Willis Tyrell. That would be the cripple, Tyrion can't help but reply. Yeah, the thinking goes that if
1: Mace is offered seriously, he couldn't refuse, without it being a major insult to the Lannisters. And this alliance would strengthen their relationship with Highgarden over time. Tywin feels at giving her a chance, a choice amongst them, but he, he feigns at giving her a choice amongst them. But as Cersei exits the room
0: in Rage, it's pretty clear the path that will be taken with
1: Willis and that Cersei will
0: just do as she's told. But Tyrion can't help but think that Cersei should be the one making demands. You know, she's the queen. Tywin should be doing her bidding, but that is not how this family operates, Tyrion also can't help but wonder what Jaime might do about all this, up to and including murdering Willis Tyrell. But those thoughts are interrupted as Tywin insists that
1: he too must wed. Finding himself in the same predicament as his sister, Tyrion is now combating
0: his father on the notion of a union with… Sansa Stark. But the case is strong. Wedding Sansa takes her off the playing field for others to create political alliances. They can't send her back north for the same reason. He could eventually, potentially have a claim to Winterfell. Tyrion, claim to Winterfell. Plus, she's young, she's beautiful, Tywin insists. What What do you have to complain about? Tywin then goes on to pretend to offer the girl to Lancel
1: instead, then spends nearly a half a page reminding Tyrion why he isn't actually good enough for anyone in the realm, but insisting that nevertheless he will find a match for his son somewhere. So why not just take this one?
0: hate him so much
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh why not take her well it's a quirk of mine Tyrion answers strange to say i would prefer a woman that wants me in her bed and he counters with one final question if getting the key to the north is so important and balon Greyjoy holds the north now why not wed me to asha Greyjoy? tywin insists that balon will not rule in the north, long,
1: and that if Tyrion can return to the north with Edward Stark's grandson, he will have a claim to the north. Wait, wait, will really? he? Rob Stark is still alive, and well, he's about to make a billion Stark Frey hybrids. So, what claim actually would lion wolf pups have?
0: Tywin can't help himself, and he spills the news. Rob has breached his agreement to wed a Frey by marrying Jane Westerling. That's right, Jane Westerling. In addition to ruining his agreement with the phrase, Rob has also put the Westerlings in great danger. Do they remember the Tarbex? Uh, Have they never heard the Reigns of Castamere? Tywin promises Tyrion that the Westerlings
1: do remember the lessons of the Tarbex and Reigns, but fails to provide any other details about it, offering only, The greatest fools are oftentimes more clever than the men who laugh at them.
0: You will wed Sansa Stark Tyrion. And soon. End of chapter. Yep. More Red Wedding stuff right there. You gotta love it, baby. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this is this is an interesting one because... Um, so we start with the idea that, you know, Mace is trying to steal Sansa away to marry Willis Tyrell. And so what Tyrion does is he marries other people to both of those people. His own children. The only two people he has under his control... Mm-hmm. he decides to marry the two people that might make a politically uh a political disaster for him and uh you know we talk about him doing everything for the family i think i think actually in his deranged head he actually believes these would be good things for his children
0: right yep 100% agree with you
1: it's weird, and I'm not trying to give him credit. Really, it's it's more it's more it's more a critique of how terrible he
0: is that mm-hmm. he thinks this would be. That he actually children. believes. I mean, it's those it's those parents that push their kids to crazy, exhausting, burnout limits in sports and things like that. Yeah, I'm setting you up for success one day. Yeah, by beating you into the ground.
1: I don't want to. That or, doesn't matter. This is good for you.
0: Or academics, or yeah. music, or any other things, right? Yeah. When really it's abuse.
1: Yeah. I do. I do feel like George kind of makes a mistake here in the in the order in which he does these things because Tywin even consider, or sorry, Tyrion even considering that he might become Lord of Winterfell someday. Like that. That can't really, unless he, I guess maybe he's assuming that Rob will be killed in the war. But like they all know Rob is still alive. It's very presumptuous to think that this right. marriage to Sansa is going to net him Winterfell.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. There's an assumption being made. I mean, obviously Tywin and Kevin know about the no. red wedding plot, but right. from Tyrion's end, it's like, you know, we're going to win the war eventually. And we can't allow Rob Stark to bend the knee and go North again. He will have to die.
1: Yeah. I guess I, I guess I just mean like, I think what George wanted was to end the chapter the way he did, with kind of this like little surprise hook. But like it would have been more, it would have made a lot more sense to Tyrion as a logical argument to lay out that hook first, and they'd be like,
0: "So you're going to marry Sansa Stark and get Winterfell." It seems like that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. But I, it's just maybe to buy him more into that. I thought
1: this was better storytelling, I guess. But <laughs> I, I have a blind spot that I need you to help me with. Uh oh. How does Cersei having more kids make Stannis a liar about the kids she already has?
0: Because mean, the other kids are blonde already and Well So So
1: if she has blonde kids, that's helpful. Is that the argument?
0: That's that's what I'm saying. Does, doesn't it doesn't matter who I marry, they're always gonna be blonde. It could be, yeah.
1: Because if if she happens but to have non blonde kids.
0: Then we're in trouble.
1: Yeah. If if she goes right. and marries Willis Tyrell and they have little Marjorie babies, mm-hmm exactly that's gonna hurt their case
0: mm-hmm
1: it doesn't it doesn't seem like this is a it, it seems like their argument is just having more kids proves them a liar and i don't get that right the question was never whether or not cersei was could have kids right
0: correct i guess they're just counting on them always being blonde that's the hope yeah she spits out blonde kids I shouldn't say spits out that negates the, the travails of childbirth, but she just watched a whole series about that. uh, She has blonde children. It's yeah. Yeah. They're banking on that for sure. Okay.
1: And I guess they usually do.
0: Right. But, and this is just awful though. all of this is just so awful.
1: The manipulation.
0: You must have a new husband in your bed to father children on you. You will marry and you will breed, Tywin says. That might be my least favorite line of this whole series. You will marry and you will breed. Yeah, and I feel like he did it
1: just to set up Tyrion's joke about Willis also likes breeding. Right. Like like breeding animals. Animals, right. Like he used that language. I don't know, he... He's not using harmful language, but like, did he use that language just
0: to set up the joke or that is given Tywin even more credit than we've already given him tonight. Potentially though, (laughs) potentially, I meant,
1: I meant is George using that language Oh, I up Tyrion's joke, but the Tywin question is also an interesting one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because you're right. I mean, Tywin's,
1: Tywin's a misogynist enough that he could use those terms and treat her like, treat her like cattle anyway so it, mm-hmm. it doesn't it's not like it doesn't fit
0: and it's and hard then to,
1: yeah it's hard to read
0: for a brief moment you love cersei for railing against it for I being but, but but i think so for the briefest yeah. of moments i'm like go cersei say it girl say it yeah because it just is so awful that you find yourself siding with someone you don't like, like Cersei. It's it's despicable. Yeah, what's,
1: what's, what's, the, what's the meme? The worst person you know just made a great point? <laughs> oh no, the worst person you know just made a great point. <laughs> um, it's even not that she made a good...
0: I know what you're saying, but she's not even making a good point. just the fact that she's just railing against it as hard as she is. It's just like, yes, go, go, give it to him. Uh-huh. But Throw that But she fit. Throw that fit. She's throwing a fit, but like... In the face of her dad.
1: <clears throat> yeah.
0: The guy who scares her the most. Yeah, I guess I that's mean, the key, right? In a vacuum, maybe not. Maybe she could have tried harder. But you got to look at who this is against. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, you, you called it a fit. It, it is almost like she's reverted to a
0: child-like
1: mm-hmm. defense mechanism.
0: It yeah. is. It's, it's all she's only, got.
1: Yeah.
0: It's the only defense she has hmm You're right. It is very childlike.
2: hmm
0: And that's all she's got. Man. Yeah. And that sucks. But,
1: yeah. I mean, she 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 I mean, it really is though. It's like it's like my kids throwing a fit when they know they're still gonna lose. Right. It's like she knows she knows this is all she's got in the canister, and then she's gonna do what she's told. <laughs> she's gonna log her complaint. Yeah. And with and HR, put it, put it and, to the back of the queue, and no one's ever gonna see it again. And she's gonna get married. And I mean she you know, she throws Joe, oh, the the old squid or the crippled dog boy, I think she says, right?
0: Dog Shut your mouth, Something. Cersei Lannister. Yeah. <laughs> crippled dog crippled dog boy is what she yeah. calls him. Crippled dog boy. But like she's she's
1: in that sentence she's already agreeing. She's already giving up, right? Mm-hmm. Even though yeah. she's throwing these barbs, it's it's uh
0: Full of sound of fury and signifying nothing. And the real tragic thing about it is Willis Tyrell would be a great husband for her. All my obvious, like, bias aside, like, it sucks for him to have to Lannister. But, yeah. I mean, he checks all the boxes as a as a great <sighs> husband of what we know about him.
1: Yeah, but not for her.
0: The personalities. That's not what, that's not what she wants. The personalities would not do well. Yeah. Right. I'm saying it would be nice to give him a chance and see what happens. But unfortunately the way that it's being imposed upon her. Yeah. Is, is dooming it from the start. We,
1: I mean, we said similar things about Tyrion and Sansa before and not, not even about a romantic relationship, but like they are two like a, people that could get along in a, a partnership, partnership yeah, and make it work. Right. And, Still that's torture for Sansa. That's not what she wants. That's not, mm-hmm. it's not the what type of relationship wants. she yeah. should be in. She's a young girl that wants you know, wants what she should get, right? She wants a, a happy marriage where she has the
0: whole package. And Cersei uh, needs that fire, right? She needs that. I
1: wonder if Wills has yeah. an ounce of fire in him. I, I kind of like what I talked about with, with Pippin. I I feel like he's just kind of content.
0: Absolutely. He's just
1: kind of like no drama yeah. guy. If they send Cersei to him, he'll be like what is happening? Do you do you want? <laughs> can I get you something to smoke or like, like what's What's talk about what's Willis happening
0: here? totally smokes pot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. he absolutely does. No question yeah. in my mind. <laughs> like, I I just would I would
1: just like Tyrion does. I would feel bad for him. For sure. I would also feel bad for Cersei though too because she she wants the fire. She. Wants, it's not
0: what she wants, right?
1: Yeah, it's the Quentin Martell argument again with Danny. Right, mm-hmm. it's mud.
0: That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's exactly what it is.
1: But you and I, Matt, we know that you should be content with Mud. Mud is the best.
0: <laughs> I'm Mud. And yeah, like just give me a chance, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I you know, like maybe like it would over time it would be one of those misogynistic tales where you know, the woman gets Gets cowed by it over time, and right. eventually learns to love the life she has, and all these terrible things.
0: But you don't want that. But it's that. not. But it's not. It's not what Cersei wants. Right. right? No, you're right. Um, he checks all the boxes of a of a great husband, but yes. not for Cersei. I agree right. with that. Yeah. Um, another tragic thing in all of this is Tyrion and Cersei, is that they're in the exact same boat. Such <sighs> similar boats. Yep. She leaves and Tywin turns and does the same thing to Tyrion. to Tyrion and it's not just in the marriage thing. They're in the same boat, just in this whole relationship Childhood as siblings yeah. with an awful, awful father and they could do so much together in terms of bringing each other some sense of just companionship yep. or I'm in this with you type thing, solidarity, yeah. right? And it really sucks that that vitriol that's in this fa- the poison in this family seeps down to the children to where they hate each other and they really have no reason to hate each other yeah i wonder if they do right i, I wonder if not real reasons but I, I wonder if
1: well so first of all we know that Cersei was mean to Tyrion from basically day one i think the fact that Cersei and Jamie were so close Jamie Cersei and Jamie right? It's Instantly interesting. Jamie did still create him. a relationship with Tyrion, right? Mm-hmm. But seriously, never felt like she needed one. She never, she never needed Tyrion. She didn't want a relationship with him. Tyrion probably, probably saw that and said, "Okay, yeah, you know, I don't care either. Fine, right?" And he's so used to getting mistreated by everybody just because, you know, of his, you know, that he's a dwarf uh, in that society and. So he probably just didn't, didn't do much else. But I also wonder if beyond the already, you know, Cersei's kind of already treating him bad beyond that. Well, we know Tyrion, you know, Joanna died in childbirth from Tyrion, right? So um, she maybe as a young girl kind of carried that with her. Yeah, that I wonder if Tywin fed that, tried to make them at each other's throats, stoked the flames mm. so that they didn't get along. Right, mm-hmm. and used use that as just another manipulation tactic of which he has so many, to, to make sure much. that
0: they never became close. And that just sucks. Yeah, I mean, all that childhood stuff aside, if they could have been adults for two minutes, yeah, and talked and realized and been tra- been vulnerable with each other for just a second,
2: ah, there could but have been so much thing, power right? in that.
0: There could have been Our, so much power in that.
1: The trauma just follows you right and it yeah. takes incredible effort and tools that oh, they don't understand at all mm-hmm. to get past this like you, you yeah. carry that with you for your whole life it's it's informed upon who you are yeah and how you treat people that and and it's really hard to get through those things and change and they don't have these guys do not have the tools to do it. they
0: don't have the tools to cope with that in a, in and, a positive way yeah
1: i mean yeah, I, I mean, Cersei has, you know, I don't want to come down on her too hard, but she has basically no, no almost no capacity for what I would call like altruism or good. Right? I mean, she's in it for herself. Sometimes you could maybe say she's in it for her kids, but she's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty much in it for herself. Mm-hmm. Tyrion, I think, has found some space for for altruism but is still pretty, pretty roped into this. You know, I got to take care of myself, you know, and, and they're both, I think I, both of them, I think are, their confidence is shot. Like they're not, For sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: they've been beaten down their whole lives. I mean, yeah. this, this, this section that where Tywin just takes basically a, almost a whole page. I think it's three quarters of a page and he's just tearing it's his It's down. It's heartbreaking. Standing right in front of him, tearing him down. And, Okay. I couldn't
0: get this person to agree to a marriage. I couldn't get this yeah. person to agree to a marriage. They didn't want to marry you because you were this. This yep. person said this about you. This, this, yep. this, this. Yeah.
1: There's oh. no one there's you're not we're not worthy of I think he literally says you're not worthy of anyone in the realm. Mm-hmm. But we'll find somebody. Right? And and he's so used to hearing that that it probably sends him to a dark place and he's just like, Anything to make this stop. Okay. Sure. Like I'll I'll do this. Like, let's, yeah. you know. And he, you know, Tyrion relies on his intellect to fight back a little bit maybe, but he does, he basically ends up the same way as as Cersei does. Cowed. Right? Okay, I'll do what you say.
0: Yep. Yep, he was you manipulated know, he, into it.
1: He even has a moment where where he's just feeling bad for Sansa. He's like, I can't believe you do this to her. Right? And And even that isn't enough to you know, get him to stay on the path of saying no, like the power Taiwan has over him is too strong.
0: So strong. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. It just hurts. It hurts. It's because he tears down. Yeah. And then he comes in like he's some hero. Yep. Saying, look at this thing. What I'm going to give you though. I'm going to give you Winterfell. I'm going to give you this beautiful wife. And, I mean, on the surface, you look at that and go, wow, that, you know, all ickiness of Sansa only being 13 aside, we are in the, in this world of Westeros, all ickiness of 13 year old girl aside, um, this is a a good reward and a vacuum for Tyrion, right? You're marrying this highborn noble woman of, you know, you get all this land. That seems great. But it wasn't the reason Tywin was doing it. He wasn't rewarding him because he loved his son or something and he wanted the best for him. He's doing it for all those reasons we talked about. Just plugging holes throughout the realm like Tywin does. Plug a hole, plug a hole, plug a hole, plug a hole to keep House Lannister on top. It was like I was thinking about "What, what would this be related to? It'd be like if you took your wife on a work trip with you, right? That you were going to go on anyways. Mm-hmm. But you're like, oh, I'm going to take my wife. And then I can label it as a romantic getaway. Mm-hmm. See, honey, I'm taking you places. I'm taking mm-hmm. you on this romantic getaway to Cleveland or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's a nice place I here. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, that's what Tywin's yeah. doing here. He's
1: wrapping it up in a different package than what it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll add a couple things to that real quick. So, please, um, much like Circe... He's giving her what might be—he's giving her what might be thought of as an attractive package. Mm-hmm. He's giving Tyrion what he believes to be an attractive package, but neither of those packages are what his children want. Nope. It's like receiving a Christmas gift from somebody who bought the gift thinking they'd like it. It's what Tywin wants. It's not what either of them want. Either of these things, mm-hmm. right? And it's—you can't just give people to people. I mean, I know they do in this society kind of, but. It's, it's not, it's not right. And the other thing is, like you said about tearing him down and then coming in as a, as a white knight. It's something I have to say to Mary reasonably frequently. The way you say things matters. It's Mm -hmm. not just the content of your message. It's not just, it's not just that he's, you know, offering him this opportunity to wed Sansa who he thinks is maybe, maybe he even really does legitimately think it's a good match for Tyrion. Um, but tearing him down first and then delivering it is a bad way to deliver this message. It's hurtful and wrong. Right. And that
0: matters. 100% matters. Yep. Even if what you're saying is completely true, Mary. have had this son yeah. with, or this conversation with Luke is very similar in that way to Mary. And it's like, nah, it, it can be true, but yep. it matters the way that you present that truth to somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Timing feeling all those different things. Yep. Totally. And it's turned his kids into these, this mess, right. In terms of Tywin, this mess of just trauma and psychological damage and emotional damage. And like where Ty, we've talked about this before is Tyrion desperately wants Tywin's approval. Yes. He also desperately wants Tywin dead. Like, yes.
1: He, he yeah, wants to of, be
0: him, but wants to be as far from him as he can.
1: Yeah. One of the things he says is maybe that's exactly what I need to get a keep so I can get out of here. Yeah. Away from Circe and away from this craziness. And, uh, you know, way back when we did like our own personal canons for where these characters will end up someday. Mm-hmm. I still remember my answer for Tyrion. It's, it's like a little house on a river with, with books. a really big library. I remember you right? saying that too. And, and like, I think that would be where he's happiest. He doesn't need all this crap. He really doesn't. He, I think, you know, a part of him gets off on the scheming and the political maneuvering. The uh, stimulation, stuff. right? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but but he doesn't need it. I don't, and I don't think it's what he really wants.
0: Yeah,
1: I think what he really wants is away from the crazy.
0: I I, I think he needs that intellectual stimulation of putting his mind to something, but that could yeah. easily be, you know. He'd finding saddles some way. Yes. Finding some way to bring water from the stream close to his yeah. little cottage into his home, you know, right. like he could get that stimulation by doing that. He doesn't have to be moving chess pieces around a kingdom to keep his yeah. house in power. But I, I, I kind of, so. I was listening to this song today. Third eye blind. You know, they still put out music. Um, I, I did not. Some of it's okay. Even <laughs> uh, they do have, it's pretty. So it's this. better
1: than their old it, stuff.
0: Uh, no, <laughs> it's pretty hit or miss. Um, but one, one song I was listening to is really good. Really good. It's called Silver Lake Neophyte. Um, and there's a line in it. I was just listening to it today and it came into my head, which is why I went, oh, just now and typed in the lyrics. Uh, the, the guy says in the very last verse, I'll go with you cause I kind of love you. If I see you again, though, I think I'm gonna kill you, cause we'll keep doing this, waiting around for someone who doesn't want me to want me.
1: Oh, yeah. Departed again. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. One of the characters in The Departed is he says, "If this isn't gonna work, you have to leave me, cause I'll just stay forever. I'll, <sighs> I'll never, I'll never leave. Like he, like he's, he doesn't understand that leaving is something he can do." Mm-hmm. And he'll just keep trying. He'll just keep banging his head against the wall.
0: And that's Same. Tyrion and that Cersei.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. I don't want to get into the do I want to go here. I we'll try to keep it brief. Okay. <laughs> Tyrion and Sansa married yeah. and everything. Yeah. And reading these chapters prior to their marriage reinforced to me just how much Tyrion's I making quote fingers for those who are just listening to it need to please his father and do what his father says goes into that, you know, ugly scene in the bedroom, right? Where he literally has to get himself drunk and try fondling her just to arouse himself to do what he needs to do because his dad expects him to do it.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, to his credit, and you know he doesn't treat sense well but to his credit just on the dad pleasing side of things yep.
0: he's able to
1: he, he doesn't do it mm-hmm. right and, and i think that's interesting growth for him that that's the, yeah. you know it, it's one of those things where Tyrion's hatred of his father i think is stronger than Cersei's and Jamie's mm. and sometimes it overpowers the need to please right and, and i think yeah that's what we maybe what we got there and and may you know to his credit, too, the fact that he sees this girl that is young and doesn't yeah. want him and is put in this terrible position, just, you know, losing family members left and right and not in a good place and doesn't want him, shouldn't be in this position. And, you know, takes he's expressing that in this scene, right? Mm-hmm. Why would you do that to her? He knows that yeah, he knew why? it now. That's what made, made me want to it. go
0: back and look was seeing yeah. him defend her to his dad. Yeah. 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 Oh, just seeing how this trauma just manifests cycles. itself in so yeah. many different ways. And, but I like what you said about how in that moment, you know, despite his best efforts to the contrary, at well, I wouldn't call his best efforts, but his efforts to the contrary.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, he even says in the chapter, come, we must do our duty or something like yeah. that, right? He, that the hatred he has for his dad overpowers that in the end. And maybe like you said, part also it. Yeah. part of it, maybe it's the other both. part being sympathy or pity for Sansa yeah. too. Right. Um, and part of that feeling of, I'd prefer a wife who wants me in her bed. So a little self pity there too. Um, anyways, so much, so much goes into so that much. kind of things. Can we talk about Peter really quick? Yes.
1: So at the very beginning of this section has... Tyrion calling out that Peter is gonna sell them down the river, just like he did to Ned Stark and other people along the way. And that is exactly what Peter's gonna do. Right? Like he's he's used the most powerful family in Westeros, mm-hmm. the king's family. He's used those relationships to set him up to become the Lord of the Erie, essentially. And he's gonna he's gonna wreck them. He's gonna do, I mean, I think eventually he's gonna get wrecked. Maybe he's got a stronghold answer. though, but he's got a stronghold and he's going to use it against them. Mm-hmm. He's for sure. Not going to be like on their side long term, Right. He's playing oh, yeah. this. And I, I for totally sure. think Tyrion's right here.
0: Yeah. Right? He's not he to is. be trusted. Mm-hmm.
1: And putting a man like that in power is dangerous as, you know, as oh, we've seen. Man.
0: Cause he's so good at stepping stones, right? Yeah. He's not going to make that mad grab. Yeah, he's gonna be like, I'll take Harrenhal. Hall's great because what it'll give me is some degree of legitimacy to then make that next step, yeah. right? Well, Harrenhal's not the end game,
1: and he's been playing them the whole time. Lysa's all in on him, regardless. Yep, yeah. Lysa would take him if he was just the <laughs> owner of sheep pellets, right? Like <laughs> he's playing them completely. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, Peter understands image matters though in this yes. kingdom too. He says about Rob Stark where he talks about doesn't matter because Rob Stark to the small folk is still undefeated. It doesn't matter yep. if you quibble about, oh, well, he didn't really lose this one or he wasn't really. Such-. It doesn't matter because what the yeah. people see is a guy who hasn't lost a battle to you.
1: Yet. The wolf boy won't lose. Yep.
0: Yeah. And that's the same with him. He's, I have to be a lord of something because that image matters. Even if it's Hall, even if it's a yeah. burned husk of a cursed place.
1: Yeah, we get uh, we get the little text there about uh, about your boy Willis. Uh, the one and I feel like I feel like we get almost nothing about Willis in this whole series, mm-hmm. but we get this one little. Where is it?
0: Enough to Willis, him is, to animal Willis is heir everywhere. to
1: Highgarden, and by all reports, a mild and courtly young man, fond of reading books and looking at the stars. He has a passion for breeding animals as well and owns the finest hounds, hawks, and horses in the Seven Kingdoms. I think those, like, two, four, five lines is more than we get about Willis in the rest of the books combined.
0: Maybe some stuff in the Sansa chapter. There's
1: some stuff in the Sansa chapter where they're talking about the match, right? Mm -hmm. But it's all... But, like, we've built this (laughs) wonderful human that we put (laughs) on a pedestal out of basically
0: those five lines and a few musings... From the Tyrells. The only thing Tywin has ever said that has aroused me. Those lines right there.
1: <laughs> well played. Well played.
0: Thanks for the habsy, Ty. Yeah, that's true though. We really have nothing about this guy and he's kind of developed this cult following that yeah. I'm happy to stoke to the ends <laughs> of the earth. I'm just going to keep it going. Do you think we'll get more? I think okay. we will. I think well, we will Is with the year on so or the arc the, and the, everything. The yeah. He's far away
1: though. Like, do you, do you imagine that the, I mean, this way off on a tangent, but do you think the Grajo's are really going to come all the way up the river?
0: I don't know. It could be funny though. If Gurm just decides to treat him as like, you know, sometimes you have those characters that are purposefully kind of left out of like, or you're perfectly coy about like on how that thing you do the bass player's name is never said (laughs) and even in the credits he's listed as the bass player you know (laughs) the
1: bass player
0: it's funny in the little post uh film like here's what happened to each of these guys you know Uh so and so got married to so and so so and host Uh a record company he is listed as tb player the bass player Uh and it's just one of those coy, funny jokes that base yes. players being insignificant. It'd be kind of funny if Gurn was just like, this is a really important character in terms of hierarchy and everything, the heir to one of the most powerful houses. But we we'll don't have to meet him. We'd give you like seven lines on him in the whole series. It'd be kind of funny. <laughs> ah. And also very tragic. For you. For some of us, it would be yeah. very tragic, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got uh, anything else on this section? Um, this westerling betrayal did not seem to have enraged his father as much as Tyrion would yeah. have expected yep yeah
1: so Tywin when, when something like this happened before he murdered the entire family line and flooded the flooded castles right like he should be really angry about this mm-hmm. the fact that he isn't is a tell of some kind to Tyrion right? for sure it's kind of a, a little disappointing that Tyrion
0: doesn't kind of put it together, to be honest. <laughs> that even—I mean—the Red Wedding is a crazy power move. Tyrion's yeah. been known to suss things out like this before, so not like this, maybe, but yeah. But even the guy's just putting,
1: Even just putting together the fact that maybe the Westerlings are still actually working with the Lannisters—it
0: mm-hmm.
1: doesn't seem like Tyrion's even put that together,
0: right? He's talking is you know, like, like, why hasn't he done anything to him yet?
1: Yeah, it doesn't have to. His thoughts don't have to be able to branch all the way to the Red Wedding. Mm-hmm. But they could at least branch to, oh, Lannister set that whole thing up so that they would, he would betray his, his vow, his promise, right? Right. And they're still loyal and they're going to make sure that there's no baby and you know, all these things. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. No, yep. You're right. Okay, and then I have one final thing okay. about Tyrion.
2: Yeah.
0: So Tyrion's mad about being made master of coin. Yes. Right? I mean, is he? How mad is he? Well, that's kind of my question is what, what does Tyrion want here? Like he knows he's not going to be hand of the king. He yeah. knows when Tywin comes back that that's his time. His hand is done. No matter how yeah. good a job he did. Tywin's, he never- there, Tywin's hand he was never actually even technically hand. He was like operating
1: as hand yeah, on Tywin's yeah. behalf. Right. He had the little,
0: you know, he had, he had the, little the pin, thing and everything, but mm-hmm. like, but it was always with the understanding that yeah, just until I get back, I think they called him acting hand. Right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, so no, it's a, it's a good question. I think I had something in my notes up there too, about like where does Tyrion fit in the new world mm-hmm. order here? Where does he want to fit? Yeah. Two different questions. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he says right in this chapter, maybe what I really need is to just marry someone and get out of here. That, that sounds like it would be a relief. Sure. You know? Mm -hmm. Um. So, so maybe that's really what he wants. But again, back to the kind of earlier conversation, does he also kind of crave this scheming and being involved at this high level?
0: I don't know. He's kind of felt like I did a pretty good job of this and, yeah. Kind of like to see where this takes me. Like,
1: yeah, I you know, it's maybe some of the pleasing stuff too. Like maybe he's looking for a job because he wants to feel useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. you know, what does he want to do really? I think just like bang shay over and over again. Like I I sometimes I don't think he's a guy with a lot of a lot of like aspirations.
0: You know, he's kind of yeah. muddling through and He's so talented, but to what end type of thing yeah. again? Yeah. yeah. To what end? I wonder. Because <clears throat> that's, I think this influences a lot of the way Tyrion acts in this chapter and maybe his inability to grasp th- certain things like we've talked about is Tyrion goes into this meeting hot, right? When you read this chapter, you yeah, sense yeah. a bitter, upset, ready for a fight attitude, he goes in there just upset. Yeah. And a little arrogant, too, about mm-hmm. being
1: better than the other people in the council, being able to see what his father is doing.
0: Absolutely. But, but, but the also stuff like, he what ple- am I doing he, here with these people? Yeah, the stuff he, like, the barbs he throws and everything, he's hot right now. And you know yeah, that is. you don't deal with someone when they're hot. But. He feels disrespected, right? He feels
1: like he mm-hmm. won this battle for them with his chain, right, and his partially his command out there. And he doesn't feel like he's getting the credit from his father or anyone else for it. He even gets some credit and kind of negates and is like, ah, oh, they're just,
0: these They're little, just saying that
1: they're just saying that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so You're right. He's it's, he seems bitter and angry. Yeah.
0: And that totally influences your ability to think things through. You yeah. know, you've been in conversations where you just have to like walk away and calm down and try again. Uh, Way too many. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't walk away and I don't calm down. <laughs> I've, gotten up a in a situation.
1: I've gotten a lot better at walking away, but I think it's more just like quitting. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's really a good thing. You don't revisit kinda... it? <laughs> oh, no, I mean, <laughs> just... I, I, I do. It usually doesn't take me that long to calm down. Okay. And, you know, usually I think we do revisit it, but I don't know, maybe it's still growth I need to have. But if you, when I walk away, it feels like I'm just abandoning Especially sure. if it's like a fight with the kids, you know, or something. And I'm just like, oh, I can't do this right now. I'm walking away. Mm-hmm. Well, what am I really doing? I'm leaving aoen to solve it with them. Like that's, that's mm, quitting. I, that's see. Not, I see. That's mm-hmm. not helping. Uh, you know, so I feel bad when I do it. But, I, but honestly, like, it's probably still better that I leave. Because, you know, the way I get and how intense I get when these fights are happening and trying to make my points and the lack of patience. Like I probably am making it worse. By sure. Being there right. In these cases, um, you know, and
0: yeah, to that point, like I don't want to give like Tyrell and red wine and these guys too much credit, but it could be that they really are like trying to give Tyrion a bit of a compliment. Remember we're seeing oh, this sure from, from his POV. We're seeing it from yeah. his POV. He's come in hot and he's also come in as a guy that is so completely unused to receiving any sort of compliment that he has no idea how to take a compliment really. Yeah. Everything he ever, if ever he gets a compliment, it's always like, well, what do they want out of this? And there could be some of Tyrell and Redwine trying to like posture and Tyrell in particular being kind of like, this guy might be in law here soon. So I've got to ingratiate myself a bit, but there could just be a sense of Tyrion just not you know, this trauma that we've talked about making him completely uh, unable to receive any sort of kindness towards him and receive he, it with any sort of grace. He strikes me as the kind of guy that's not usually great at receiving kindness. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And, and he's, he's never it, So it, yeah. So it, it's, he's going to be worse at it now. Mm-hmm. I bet. I mean, even, even if, even if Tyrell and Redwine and Mathis, Mathis, Rowan, mm-hmm, Mathis. yeah mathis rowan Aha. Ugh. okay good I'm getting old good. matt my brain good is, uh even if even if they you know are just kind of hamming it up a little bit i i doubt they're being insincere it's just they're, like they're in teasing. a good mood they know they're about to get a bunch of land they're in a great mood they're or in a small council a good mood matt. With
0: tywin lannister and yeah their their <laughs>
1: names on the agenda <laughs> you ever been matt just like in a good mood and so you're talking nicer, nicer to, people to people that you than, usually aren't that nice to. And you're totally, like, totally, totally. yeah. Like they're maybe doing some of that, but I bet they mean it. You know, I bet <laughs> they, they're like, I heard your chain was a brilliant idea. Well, it was a brilliant idea. You know? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm really bad at taking compliments. So I, I can
0: mm-hmm. relate to Tyrion. Here, yeah. But you can relate. I'm also angry.
1: <laughs> Tyrion is. So like, I can relate, I can relate to yeah. it.
0: But, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that that hotness that he came into the meeting with just completely affected everything, how the meeting went. It's doing a disservice to his ability to provide value here mm-hmm. in the meeting and to
1: and to himself, right? Because
0: he's not trying to provide value. He's yeah. trying to, like, sting people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that really is kind of, I mean, I think you're right. He's angrier here than normal. But, like, that's usually kind of his bag. Let me sit off on the corner and throw the barbs in Mm -hmm. me. Let me just throw insults around a little bit. Be the clever one. I've been told
0: my whole life that I don't provide value any other way. So yeah, I'll do this.
1: It's a role he's kind of taken on over time.
0: Right. Mm -hmm.
1: I I know that I know that my wit has value. I get laughs sometimes. Let me just do that. I can sink into that role easily.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all I got. Right. That actually went longer than I thought it would, but. No, it was good. It a good said. side discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was nice. Yeah. That doesn't normally happen. Never
1: mind. So. I mean, sometimes it's nice. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes quick isn't so bad. Yeah, I said it. You know? You no. Know. But... Okay, fine. Yeah. We're actually. You're going to let me die on it hill alone? <laughs> fine.
0: Nice friend you are. <laughs> I mean, we can say it. <laughs> Sometimes it might be true. I don't know. Weigh in fans. <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't. <or> t- ever.
2: <laughs> uh, okay. Uh,
0: Shall we um, move on? Let's 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 talk about you some more, buddy. Mm-hmm. So as as those who've listened to Meet the Calisar know, this second round of questioning tends to focus more on uh our Kalisar members' relationship with The Song of Ice and Fire. So, Skad, we've been at this podcast for eight years. You've been reading this series for longer than that, 10 years, 10, 11 years probably. Yeah, um, something. What keeps you coming back to it after all this time? I mean, truth
1: be told, I don't, right? I mean, I, I haven't read this series in full since like 2018 when we finished. Sure. Some, some, I don't remember the date, really. I think mm-hmm. it's around there um you know i i did uh, maybe a year and a half ago i got about a third of the way through a game of thrones then put it down to read something else i don't even remember what it was at this point but maybe it was king killer again i don't remember so i mean i think it's you matt that keeps me coming back to the song of ice and fire and then the khalasar as well right i mean if i if, if if i seriously ask the question i wonder you too if i really ask the question would i be reading this again without my podcast or without the fandom dragging me along, you know, like would I Right, I doubt it. I'd, I'd be reading something else. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but that's, that response is very snarky and I don't really mean it to be, no, I really. love these, I love these books. I haven't read anything else four times. except maybe, maybe Hamlet, you know, I, mm-hmm. I love George's treatment of characters. I love, you know, the arcs. I love how he can switch voices so effectively for the different POVs, how it spans just so many different storylines and perspectives and angles and how he kind of weaves them together. I mean, I think it's a fantastic story. I love it. Right. But I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I do keep coming back to it. I mean, we kind of come back to it (laughs) enough to cover our episodes. We do. But I haven't read the series in full for a while. I should remedy that.
0: Same as you. Same as you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting. It'd be interesting to keep a tally of like which chapters we've read. Just yeah. jumping around, prepping for episodes. Yeah, we might like have that. gotten
1: through most of another. Read- and
0: then, yeah. and then go. You know, how much? How many times have I read this book? Just based yeah. on, it'd be interesting to see if I've t- if there are any chapters out there that we haven't touched in preparation, or as official covered chapters, since we first covered them in our reread. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think there for sure are. I mean, like like I don't think we have had. Other than the fact that you just picked one, I don't think we did any Game of Thrones chapters, did we? No. In our Meet the Calisar stuff?
0: That would our, probably be where they would be. Or what-ifs
1: would have come through some of them too, maybe. But. Yeah,
0: but like, yeah, prep for episodes. like yeah. If there's a chapter I haven't touched at all since I'm,
1: I'm certain there are then. lots that I haven't touched.
0: Mm. But. It'd be interesting. No, but I love that answer. It's one that shows, you know, what... Uh, community means, yeah. but also just a, a really good book series that exists in a world with a lot of other really good book series. It's true. <laughs> yeah. We like to read too.
2: Yeah.
0: So you talked about the characters and sometimes A Song of Ice and Fire characters can be very frustrating. Uh, we'd love to take them under our wings sometimes and give them a little bit of guidance. So Skad, we talked about you being a dad and everything. Mm-hmm. Who in the A Song of Ice and Fire world would you like to take under your wing and parent a bit or a lot in, in our world or in that world? In that world. Well, yeah, I'll mean, take whatever, whatever I you've mean, got an answer prepared for. I'd like to hear them both.
1: I'll pass. First of all, like the world sucks for, for like almost everybody <laughs> living in Westeros sucks. Hard pass. like all Hard but pass. a handful of people, but you know, that's no fun. So I'll answer the question. Wait, yeah. Uh, I picked Chet and Pate. Oh, Okay. Because I feel like they're just two terrible kids that are probably mostly terrible because they had terrible parenting. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, Pate specifically—I don't remember a lot of Chet's baggage, but Pate. I mean, I know he. But well, both of them really—they—they they have a complete lack of understanding of, you know, how to treat women respectfully. They think of them as property. They think of them as something we sure. earned or won or paid for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to some degree in their society, that is the way it is. Sometimes, I guess, but. I'd love to just set them straight right, and try to give them something better to aim at. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not a perfect dad. I've even said before, I'm not sure I'm really even that good of a dad, but I'm pretty sure I could do That's better great. than Chet and Pate's dads. Right. Um, I love that. I, hey. I also threw in Ariane too as a bonus. Cause I think, you know, I think, I feel like maybe she's been talked at a lot and not to a lot. And then ignored a lot. Or too. heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and Yeah, not heard at all. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, may, maybe that. For my parent, I went the easy route. I, I'll take Mace. Yeah. He, he seems so the, kind the of dumb, of- but also like his kids seem to like him fine. And mm-hmm. they seem well adjusted and quick on their feet. They're respectful and kind for the most part. Maybe it's an act. Like everyone speculates maybe it's all an act, but. I don't know. I don't argue with the results. I'll take Mace.
0: That's what we said. The proof's in the pudding. Like, he's got yeah. four great kids. Like We think. Yeah. <laughs> some of them are a little cocky in some things, but, you know. Yeah. Freaking Garland Tyrell stood up to Joffrey in front of everybody, like, well, yeah. in a little bit of a way. But, yeah, so that was the second part of the question. Um, I think I neglected to ask it, is who in the Song of Ice and Fire world would you like to be your parent? And Yeah, oh. Mace would be great. You'd get yeah. to feel like you'd kind of get free run of things because <laughs> i
1: mean I, I i guess i you know a, a deeper answer would be like i haven't really met a parent i really loved sure you know that i thought was great mm-hmm. we don't know a lot about mace's parenting style but like you said proof is in the pudding it's like oh well the kids seem you know they seem well adjusted i'll take mace
0: i guess yeah you'd go to the best soccer schools you'd-
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yep would have an awesome pu- room I'd, i would you'd have all the gaming systems
1: I would be put in tournaments against fearsome foes far too early.
0: That's you a risk. would. That's true. Yeah. You'd be playing in the U14 division as U12. Yeah. You know.
1: I, I mean, you do get the sense maybe that Mace pushes his kids in directions he wants them to go. Sure. But that seems pretty normal for this. Yeah. For this and world, we've, yeah. we've talked about that too. Like how much you push your kids towards stuff. Mm-hmm. You want them to do something. With like, like this, well, yeah, with a certain if they amount just of sit foresight. There,
0: what you hope is foresight, yeah.
1: But if they just sit there and don't do anything, you're like, they're not learning any
0: skills. They're not making any
1: friends. They're not yeah. getting any sort of perspective about things. They're just sitting there. I got to push something on them. Mm-hmm. Right. So <sighs> it's hard. <laughs> like you that don't, you don't want to be, you don't want to be the parent that's making them do stuff, but you also don't want them to do nothing and learn nothing and gain nothing and have no interests.
0: That was a discussion we just had today with about Leia. Yeah. She's, she's, merited some consequences for some teenagerly things she's done. And mm-hmm. she just tried out for this musical, the middle school musical, and she got called back for a, a good part in it. Okay. And uh, her head so, swelling? and she's or really she excited about it. Okay. Like she's really just, she's so stoked that she got called back for this. And so one of the consequences we considered was that well, she doesn't do get to do the musical anymore. Thank but then you look at the flip side of that and it's like, what would she be doing if she wasn't in this musical, though? Yeah, she'd be at home on her phone. You know, like at least yeah. if she's doing the musical, she's engaged and doing something that's making her better at something. It's giving mm. her something to direct her energy towards, but it's also something that she really likes. So would that yeah. make a big impact if we took that away from her? I'm going on a tangent here.
1: You're you're a better parent than me, but one of the things through Mary's counseling that that they've told us is try to make the punishment be relatable to the crime. Sure. And oh, totally. Yep. And so and I don't know the the musical I don't think is based on what you told me earlier before we started recording. I don't think it's super relatable to the crime, but I don't know how you would maybe translate a punishment
0: for that crime. So
2: Yeah. So we about. didn't
0: she she is going to still do the musical. Okay. Good. Uh, yeah. I mean I was was rooting
1: for Leia to do the musical, so I'm glad.
0: Yeah. That was the thing, though, is, yeah. But it was, we want to teach her a lesson about the stuff that she's doing. And in this case, it was some selfishness things with her brothers, that her selfishness was leading to time taken away from them. She was hanging out with, for example, hanging out with friends after school, and her siblings would have to wait around for her before they could go home, right? Mm -hmm. So a punishment to fit that crime was she now gets to do their chores for a certain amount of time after school to save them time to to give give them time back, to give that time back to them. So that's great. We'll see if that ended up being a good choice or not, but Ah, it sounds good. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Seems good on paper. We're bad at it. By the way, the advice I just
1: gave you, we're terrible at following it. Oh, it's hard. You're, you're being bad. No watching. What does that mm -hmm. have to do with the crime? Yeah. I don't Give know. Me your it's phone. The only,
0: it's the only thing you value. So it's what I'm taking away. That's what we go to, right? What are they, uh, what will make the most impact?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: I totally hear you, buddy.
1: It's hard.
0: <sighs> <sighs> Sorry. This is about you, not about me.
1: <laughs> I forgot. I forgot anyone was listening.
0: Just talking <laughs> might not be. <laughs> um, Skad, Winds of Winter. What is a Winds of Winter, a theory that's been bandied about the fandom or that you have just yourself? Uh, about the winds of winter that you feel all the evidence points to it. It's spot on. No question in your mind, it's going to happen. So I kind of cheated a little bit. Um, I mean, first
1: of all, props to us and several other people, um, that, that called the Aegon nose theory, um, that we've seen on house, of the dragon is basically true, but that feels mm-hmm. like cheating now. Uh, I can't <laughs> use that one. Um, I wouldn't say that all cheers. the evidence points to this, but cheers, but it's more, I would say the evidence doesn't point to it, but it's more about, um, the essence of story and what I think George is crafting here and the themes that he is beating us over the head with over and over again about war and destruction and it being bad for the small folk and being bad for basically ever, even, even the rich folk. It's, it's bad for everyone. And, And the idea that Danny is going to be, you know, an out and out villain of, you know, destructive force. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that. I haven't bet. I haven't believed that for a long, long time. I still don't believe it. I think I said it on a panel at the last ice and fire con. Um, I think for this story to mean anything for the narrative that George is telling, I feel like there has to be a Targaryen that sees what this is and breaks the cycle that can see the violence that we're pounded with in this series and how destructive and terrible it is and make a choice and, and not do it anymore to, to no longer use these dragons as death stars to, uh, to overcome the destinies of her forebears and, and where everything looks like it's headed. We get in her last chapter, we get uh dragon's plant, no trees, mm-hmm. right? which, you know, the evidence points to, no, she's just going to burn shit, right? She's going to take shit and burn shit. And that's what it looks like. But I've always said to me, it feels like what she wants is belonging and home. And I think if if somehow she can find it, uh, I think she can break that. Hosea is still in her heart, the the girl that the Drogon murdered. And I, you know, she's, in the last chapter, she can't remember her name, Hosea's name, but she's still thinking about the girl, right? And I think, she, I think, I think the destruction, the, the destruction of lives and, and people... I think it really hits her and I've Mm -hmm. said this a lot about Danny. I think she has some darkness in there and she certainly has a history in her family of, you know, this type of, of rule and destruction, but she's got a huge heart. Sure. And I don't think she's going to do it. I don't, I think she's going to overcome and, and create change. And if she doesn't, then I don't know what story George is telling. Right. And that's, that's, I think I've said before that's one of my biggest fears, you know, is that George doesn't land this in a way that I feel is thematically consistent. So that's where I am. I, I don't know that it's a theory, but
0: it's a path. It's you know, a it's path. I believe in it's an arc. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because there's obviously that idea that. Maybe she decides to not act that way and then she doesn't get what she wants because the Game of Thrones and she wasn't ruthless enough. And the whole idea Mm -hmm. is that you have to be ruthless and you have to channel that dark side of you to to be able to get anywhere. And then to your point about themes, I wonder if that's like, well, is that really a theme in and of itself? That are you just being bleak for bleak's sake, Germ? <laughs> or are you really mm-hmm. trying to get somewhere with these characters? And I think what you're saying right. is, you can get somewhere with these characters that doesn't just involve being like, "Well, that's life in the real world, son." You know, yeah.
1: and and I, it might not end happily for her, but I think she's going to choose not to be that way. Mm-hmm. And may, you know, maybe it'll be more complicated than that. Maybe she will start down that path and realize. Mm-hmm course correct but it's wrong and try to course correct and die trying or,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. or who knows right but i, I don't think it's going to be i don't think it's going to be the out and out villainy that it Burn, seemed burned like king's the show,
0: landing to the ground that and, it seemed like the show painted yeah.
1: again i didn't didn't watch it but from what it's a the, big guys told me mm-hmm. you know i don't think that's where we'll land
0: right i like it thanks for saying that let's jump to the high tower um <laughs> And you just got a little bit of a chubby as soon as I said the word "high tower," didn't you? <laughs> because you are the high tower. You are the tower of knowledge of the high towers. So, for the people in the back, um, can you summarize what you think the high towers are up to right now? Is in the story, or what they've been up to, and where they're at?
1: Yeah. First of all, I'm not. I'm not the high tower sion, right? Joe magician. You are to is, me. Well, okay. Thank thank you. And I, I love them and I, I do feel like I know some things, but mainly I just have theories about them and like them. But you know, Joe Magician has forgotten more about the High Towers than, than I'll ever know and probably could put all of this more eloquently if well if he believed it. I don't think he feels these things that I feel. But um, <laughs> you know, Aziz for sure also. Lots of people have way more knowledge about the High Towers than I do. Still, I am interested in them and I think I, I think I have a different idea of where they're headed than most people do. Um, which is kind of the thing that I claim. I, I actually believe that the High Towers are going to lay a weapon on, a, on your own Greyjoy. That's the that's the summary. They're going to lay an ass whooping on your own Greyjoy. The nice. false prophet. Um, the Cliffs Notes or Coles Notes, I've learned, uh, is what they're called in Canada. Really? Cliffs Notes, yeah, Coles Notes was actually first, and then Cliffs Notes came after. Freaking! Anyway, it's
0: a Canadian. Company. Arrogant Americans.
1: Uh, George. Wrote the High Towers as essentially the oldest family around. There, I think mm. they're literally the oldest family still in existence in Westeros. They survived thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, really, of wars and uh, conflicts. They built a big tower on top of another tower on top of another tower on top of this place called Battle Isle, which is you know, which is polished black stone, right? not the oily kind mm-hmm. they engineered to have both the center of learning and faith in Westeros both exist in their city. They're the second richest house in Westeros and through it all with, you know, very few bumps, they've stayed above kind of all the meddling and ruling and they've always wrenched kind of smelling like roses themselves. And how, how and why is the interesting part. Right. And I don't know, I don't have answers, but I, you know, I theorize, that I think it's because they know something about the war for the dawn to come, that battle isle is somehow important to that. Mm. And so they've positioned themselves better than basically any other house on Westeros to be ready for that conflict. And they've been literally doing that positioning themselves for thousands of years and they don't have some stupid dagger with a useless phrase on it that controls their legacy. They have notes and scrolls and a whole library of stuff in that tower that is geared toward making sure they're meeting this destiny they have. They aren't too proud or impatient to keep their eyes on what's important, and that is being available for what they're needed to do in this conflict. Now there are some holes in there. The High Towers, you know, as we just saw in House of the Dragon, the High Towers do engage occasionally in things, and my explanations for that are long and we don't need to go through them all here. But that's that's my take on the High Towers, that they are immensely more important than George has led on so far and that they're going to be they're going to be a big part of of uh, Wins and Dream
0: oh I hope so that even got me more excited you talking about the history and you know Battle Isle and that potential importance go high the makers of Lorath are tied in somewhere we think we know that we know that (laughs) that's a theory that you and I are taking down with us (laughs) Uh. very good well I love it I I really hope that we get more out of them Um, because I just want to see you happy too
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know if if I'm wrong and you're on Greyjoy mops the floor with them just smashes them that's what most people think will happen and if that happens I'll you know I'll eat my crow I just I, I don't feel like George has spent this much time giving them this much history Mm-hmm. to just have them get wrecked to just smash by a family that historically all they ever do is fuck up and fail and get beaten. Yeah. Like I, f- I feel like, you know, George tells these stories in a way to mean something. He didn't build the Greyjoys up to be conquering heroes. He built them up to fail. They always fail. They always suck. They win temporarily and then they lose. The High Towers have this massive history and this important place at this, you know, what we in the fandom sometimes call a hinge of the world with this, this black stone, you know, that means something to me. I don't I don't think that's throwaway. Right? And of course, just just like the the Danny conversation we just had, there's any there's a huge spectrum of things that could happen. Maybe neither side wins. Maybe the high tower gets destroyed, but they push him back. Maybe there's all sorts of ways that could happen, yeah. right? But I don't think it's gonna be I don't think it's gonna be, you know, Euron's crowning moment that ever that most people think is gonna happen.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll what if what if like mace fumbles as mace has done mm-hmm. and the high towers have to like step up you know that'd be, cool. be kind of cool it wouldn't be the ending I want for my boy yeah for my
1: willy will we but. just to, to use some text we don't have much text on the high towers but we do know from one of those late Sam chapters in, in Feast for crows the high towers are very active like it gives us the impression they got a late start but I kind of doubt it They seem like Mm. they're always prepared to me, but Mm -hmm. they've got, they've got like six kids running around doing all sorts of things, getting ships from lease, building their own fleet up, training more infantry, doing all sorts of things like they're, they're going to be prepared. I think
0: anyway. Yep. Give them a call. They're on. Well, in the sense of, of wanting to crescendo well with these questions, I'm going to switch them around again. Okay. Um, we're going back to soccer. <laughs> Scatty, I, I tasked you yeah. with building your Song of Ice and Fire soccer team. You can pick a character for each position on the soccer field. Mm-hmm. I, I asked you to do that without really knowing how many positions there are on a soccer field, to be perfectly honest with you.
1: 11 players. Depend, okay. Positions depend on formation and all sorts of things.
0: Oh, gosh. Okay. That makes it even worse for me. But there's no limits on age, gender, whatever. You can pick yep. any A Song of Ice and Fire character to play any position in soccer. Who would you pick? What position would they play? Build your perfect soccer team for us. So you want, you want me to build, give you 11 <clears throat> players? Because that's what I have. 11 I have, players. I picked 11. Okay. Okay. All
1: right. So this could be long, which is <clears throat> usually what she's prepared for.
0: <laughs> Sometimes shorter is better, according to you.
1: I'll try to go quick. <laughs> I'll cut things where I can. My oh, goalkeeper is my goal, My goalkeeper is Gendry. Uh, what you want out of a goalkeeper is size, dependability, quickness, and good hands. We know Gendry has has really good hands. He's got size. He's strong and big. Perhaps, though, the more, most important mm. thing you want out of goalkeeper is decisiveness. Mm. That usually comes with experience. Uh, So we'll probably, you know, they need to know when to come out to snare across in the box and when to stay home on the line. Um, So Gennery may struggle with this early, but we'll train him. We'll have to coach him up. But I think he's a good choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Center backs. So in soccer, in the formation I'm choosing to use for this exercise, you have two center backs, a left center back and a right center back. But they both kind of play off each other in the middle uh, defense. And mostly what you want out of center backs is height to deal with aerial balls and good decision making. But most important is good, good decision-making, good communication between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Make sure that they're covering okay. for each other. Twins are great at this, so I chose left and right. <laughs> Olena's
0: bodyguards. Okay, Who like stays
1: it. home? Who goes to mark? How are, how are they passing people off in the box? Things like that are really important. So I, I picked both of them. They're actually too tall. They're seven feet. That would be pretty unmanageable. But anyway, that's the idea. So then, you also have outside backs. Um, let's call them wing backs. Uh, I just call them outside right and outside left back. I picked Arya and Asha for them. Mm. You want your outside backs to be quick and twitchy, athletic. Uh, you want them to be able to react to attackers coming at them, but then you want them to also seize opportunities and attack themselves. I think Asha and Arya are both great at that. For sure. Arya might be a little overeager at attacking, but you know her senses and instincts. I hope will make up for it. And Asha's so shown really good judgment, retreating from the north when it made sense. I think she's—I think she'd be a very smart at managing the attacking versus defending components of that job. I'd agree with that. Yeah, uh, I went with a four-man midfield with one more central defensive midfielder, two outside winger midfielders, and a t- an attacking midfielder, which is almost like a withdrawn forward. They play a little deeper and do a lot more passing than shooting. But um, my D mid is Biter. What you Piter. want out of a D, what you want out of a D mid is some like a disruptor, like somebody that's just going to attack and disrupt, knock okay. people down if they have to go win, just go win the ball, right? We'll figure it out later. If you foul somebody, okay, but let's go win the ball. Be a you know be a pit bull. Uh, my wingers are Angie the Archer and Jon mm-hmm. Snow. Okay, not everyone does it this I way, but this. I like. I'm glad you like it. I love this. It's super long. I feel really <laughs> sad that great. everyone has to listen to all this. This is so fun. What you, what I want out of my wingers is sometimes like a little bit unbalanced. Um, to have like a technician on one side and a, a worker kind of on the other side. That player still needs to have a lot of skill too. But that technician needs to be able to hit a target from on a cross from a mile away. Just serve, serve serve balls into our attackers, hit him on the head, hit him on the foot. And that's, that's angry, right? Like he's got precision on the other side. You want, yeah, that skilled worker, right? John Snow is a hard worker. No one's going to outwork him, right? He's mm-hmm. always working hard and he has proficiency in skill too. He's not the most skilled guy, but he's skilled. Um, see so yeah, that's that for my attacking mid. So this is, this is your maestro. This is the guy kind of, uh, receiving the ball, turning, looking for what's open, looking for the best method to attack and break down the defense. My favorite soccer player of all time is Andres Iniesta. He's a Spanish player, hmm. uh, tiny man, five foot seven, controlled the whole game deftly and subtly. Most like a lot of the time, you kind of forget he's even operating, and all of a sudden, he's making like this little simple eight-yard pass that just totally unlocks everything, and somebody's open on goal. Um, but it's seeing that pass that's really the first step, yeah, right, and then executing it. And that's Tyrion to me. So I chose Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can see the field really well. Uh, he can play that subtle pass that will lead everyone else getting the credit, right? Um, but but it was him kind of pulling the strings. Good point. And, and if you aren't looking, he'll he'll dagger you himself, as he showed with, with Tywin, <laughs> right? He can take the shot himself if he wants to. Um, take note, Cersei. And then lastly, you have two strikers. So, I mean, there are lots of different formations, right? But yeah, I when I played and the teams that I managed, we usually ran with two strikers. What I'd like to have and what I've liked watching is kind of like a target striker, a target forward that their job is kind of to like like knock the ball down, knock the ball off their head onto the other players running to help control the flow, to stop the ball and pass back or forth, Um, and also then to take advantage of balls into the box and knock them in, you know, because they're big and strong and physical. For that, I chose... Uh, either Dunk or Brienne, either one would be fantastic. Mm, okay, I was uh, wondering
0: if Brienne would make
1: an appearance. These these players, they also need to be somewhat selfless. Like they need to be able to put in the work, take some elbows, you know, get a little dirty sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, raise the ire of the defenders and just put in the work. Um, they're skilled too, right? They're they're skilled, but they're they're a bit brutish sometimes. Um, the other striker is more of a technician, more of a sniper. An opportunist, even they're pouncing on everything in the box, everything that squirts free. They're making the right runs to be in the right spots. They're very savvy and they finish with accuracy. Uh, I chose Theon for that role. Okay, um, you know he can finish with a bow. He's very mm-hmm. opportunistic. He takes chances. Right? He does. Um, that he does. They. This person sometimes is an agitator too, like getting getting in people's heads. I think Theon can do that also. So that's my lineup. I
0: love it. It and was a lot of you, fun to do. you uh, educated me a little bit about the positions in soccer and what they should be doing. And, and there's lots of ways you can do that. Some right. people listening are probably like, that's not a good formation, but, you know. It's your formation, and that's what matters, because this is the Scatisode listeners, so shut up. Get Let your me. own
1: Scatisode.
0: Yeah, get your own Scatisode, and then you can come up with your own soccer lineup <laughs> but, or football lineup. It was a lot of fun. That was the first question I answered. And it took me a long time. Yeah. It, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, I'm glad you put some thought into it. I could tell you did. And it was fun to listen to, even as like a layman soccer fan. Good. Uh, um, Sked, you are an Ice and Fire con legend at this point. Uh, uh, one of the greatest champions for ice and fire con around in terms of um, promoting it and talking about the benefits of it and finding the goodness in it, which there are lots of things to be excited about. So what are some of the ice and fire con memories that have stayed with you that have kept you wanting to go back and that have really been formative for you? Yeah. I, so again,
1: you're very kind with your language, but I, I don't, you know, I don't consider myself an Ice and Firecon legend. Um, there are certainly loads of people, there that don't even know who I am. And
0: I've never talked to, right? It's you know, I'm it's always going to be event. your biggest cheerleader, buddy. I know you will,
1: and I appreciate it, but I don't want to seem... For all I know, they think I tell you that I'm a legend. And I don't it's
0: want to me, guys.
1: It. It's but, me that's saying it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Ice and Fire Con is a small event, but it's big enough that you can miss people, for sure. Um, but... You know, to me, it's all about the people. And the, the reason I'm a big evangelist for Ice and Fire Con is because I feel like you can go there and just be with nerdy people and have fun and kind of at ease. There was an incident last year that, that has made a lot of, you know, made several people feel a little uneasy, and I respect that. and I understand that that perspective, and, you know, I, I think... The con is doing their best to address that problem. They've done, they've taken a lot of steps already. You can find all that on their website, iceandfirecon.com, about the, the steps they're taking. But to me, it's a place of comfort and friendship uh, and and just happiness. And that's, that's why I love it so much. I have a billion memories. Um, you know, a handful. Westeros and American musicals just was a lot of fun to be a part of. It's, you know, it was a lot of fun still to go back and watch. It mm-hmm. was just a, a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite memories is actually, it wasn't even at the con, it was the drive to the con the first year. I got to be in the car with Beefish and Eliana and Ann. Uh, Ann did a a uh, Meet the Callisser episode with us a while ago. Um, but uh, just that car ride was just magical, right? And it kind of set me, set the tone for like, this whole journey I was going to go on at
0: this con. Cause that was your first ice and fire. It was con. my first one. Yeah. And
1: at that, at that same con, Anne and I did a fan fiction contest where we wrote the Rob Stark, Jamie Lannister, whispering wood, uh, sex fic, pre sex mm. fic. It was so much fun to do. And I think we, I think we won for the the best thing there. It was, it was just a lot of fun doing that with Anne and it was great. Uh, we played D and D one year. That was a lot of fun. um, I've done scenes at, um, the last three, a lot Ice and fire yeah. cons, um, memorable know, just doing scenes those too. with, with Eliana and Seth, Britt and Chris, the, the people that did those scenes with me was, it was just great to work with them that, you know, everyone put in a lot of work getting ready and those scenes one went, went off really well. And I, you know, I really enjoyed them. They did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, but the, the main thing really mad is the couch, the couch discussions, the hangouts, the music, you know, with people just casually picking up guitars and playing and just hanging out. It's the people that matter the most. And just the friendships and discussions that, that you have there. Um, that that's Those are the memories that you cherish the most, you know?
0: Right. Agreed. And that made me feel all fuzzy. Look at you. Look at <laughs> you. Making you me go? feel fuzzy. Fuzzy enough you're going to go this year? Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. <sighs> Next so question. I, next This question. is your episode. This is your episode. I should have asked that in your episode. <laughs> oh, missed opportunity. It's never a matter of not wanting to, Callison.
2: Yeah, I
0: know that. I know that. Um, this was a this was a missed opportunity for me in the Matisode. I had a whole thing prepared for it, and then I got caught up in talking about other things, and I never got around to this. So I wanted to make sure you had an opportunity, too, that, you know, early on in we realized that our podcast, no real effort of our own, facilitated kind of this special connection with our Kalisar. It really seemed to lend itself well to forging these connections with people. Um, I wanted to ask you what that connection or kind of this special relationship that we've built with many members of our Kalisar, what that means to you. You kind of talked about it a little bit with your Ice and Fire Con answer, but just in general for even those people that aren't at the con with us. Many who you've never met and and maybe never will meet in person, you know?
1: Well, I mean, truth be told, Matt, I mean, I think you're you're better you're better suited to answer this question than I am. And I, I feel bad that you didn't get to. Um, you know, I'm sometimes a little jealous of how 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 well you interact, you know, with the Galasar and how special that connection you seem to those connections you seem to forge, how special they seem to be. Um, and, you, you know, you put you put in a lot of work to keep them, I think. Like, you're very observant. You're, you're reaching out to people. You know, I saw you reaching out to Lindsay in the weeks before she was, you know, about to about to go into labor and checking in. And you do those kinds of things. You're a thoughtful person. And I think that makes makes your bond really strong. But since you didn't get to, to speak to that, I'd, I'd like to give you the chance to do that before I... Oh.
0: Oh, I didn't mean it in that way at all, but it was, it was more of me like just soldiering on to the next question without taking it. But so you covered it well. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. They mean the world to me. They mean the (laughs) absolute world to me. Yeah.
1: uh, And I think I'll say, you know, similar things, right? I forged friendships and relationships that have changed my life forever from, from this podcast with people in the Kalisar, um, obviously for the better. Um, you know, I've, I've said before, you know, the pandemic kind of, it kind of broke me a little bit socially. Um, you know, like I don't, I don't really go out and do much now, but the truth is I didn't really go out and do much stuff before. Right. I mean, I had kids and, you know, most of my friends were part of my theater group and I'm now pretty much retired from acting. And, you know, most of my theater friends too have kids and some of them are still doing stuff here and there, but we don't go out and hang out anymore. Like I, you know, I don't, I don't have friends that I go out and do a whole lot of stuff with. I have my fantasy football crew, and I love them, and I think they love me too. But they're really my brother's friends, you know. And that I don't mean to diminish the relationships with them; they're very important to me, and I think I'm important to them too. But they're really my brother's friends, and I'm kind of they let me hang around, you know. But uh, you know, I don't have a lot of friends, and I think the Calisar, I think I think the internet is in general and Twitter. Um, And, you know, the Twitteros fandom and, you know, the Ice and Fire fandom in general, I suppose, has done this for a lot of people, you know, but it's been, it's been kind of a new way to create friendships. And Mm -hmm. I talk and network with more people on Twitter than I do in, you know, more friends on Twitter than I do in real life, really. And it means a lot. I mean, (laughs) these are my friends, you know, I'm I'm less good at managing them than you are for sure. Mm. But like, you know, if I'm out there talking to you, just, you know, no, it's really important to me. You know, I like, it means a lot. And those relationships are, are huge to me. I don't, I don't have a lot of them that I'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis, you know, with, even on a week-to-week basis with people in, as Eliana once put it, meat space.
0: <laughs> um, I appreciate that. I've thought about that too, that like I'm more involved with your guys' lives than I am with like yeah. the meat space people. <laughs> yeah, sometimes.
1: But that you goes know, to your your, uh, your spires. What did you call it? Uh, silos.
0: Silos, yeah. Right? Right, yeah. Our little silos that we have. That resonated with a lot of people, so that helped me it feel did. good. Um, that I'm not the only one in those silos. But yeah, Skad, we look at these people like, I mean – it's unfair to single out just one, but the one that always comes to mind for me is, is our buddy Dent, who also did a Meet the Calisar episode that, mm-hmm. you know, my daughter was doing a fundraiser and Dent and I are friends on Facebook and yeah. selling Swig cards. Swig is a soda yeah. company. They They do mixtures of soda that doesn't even exist really outside of maybe like Utah and Idaho, maybe mm-hmm. Arizona. I don't think it exists anywhere else. I could be wrong. Yeah. Dense like sign me up for one, and so I was like, okay, uh, yeah, sure, and and he's like, oh wait, I just realized they don't have Swig in Ohio, <laughs> but that's okay. Just give the card to somebody else and put me down for the money. Uh-huh. And the guy gave my daughter money, like, yeah. just to be cool, like, and that's so many people in our little Kalisar. Um, it makes them really yeah. easy to love, you know. Yes. Yeah. I've
1: seen lots of things like that. I mean, with, with yeah. people needing help, right, with disasters and and things like that, where people
0: are just much more important than my daughter's
1: choir tour fundraiser. Well, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't what I was trying to do, but yeah, I mean, I, I just it. I just meant more that mm-hmm. you know the, we're there the, for each the other. The fandom of, of uh, Song of Ice and Fire is yeah is there for each other, and it's it's been very meaningful. And you know, I think our part in that is small right? But it's an important part to us and Mm -hmm. we've certainly benefited from being a part of it.
0: Yeah. Well, you spend time on the things that matter to you and we certainly see the time that you spend with the Kalisar. Absolutely.
1: And right right back at you.
0: I see that Scatticus popping up in my TL, you know.
1: Yes, I'm there. (laughs) Sometimes obnoxiously. (laughs) <laughs> really don't follow me i'm kind of obnoxious with my political stuff uh by the way your thread about the homework movie is hilarious i'm not weighing in because i don't watch those and i'm afraid i'll break the theme thingy- well i'm afraid we need I'll, to
0: keep it going
1: i'm afraid i'll break out of like the zone that's acceptable right because i don't watch them and i don't know the formula we need to keep it going i Someone hope it i hop I'm, in there
0: i'm reading every single one
1: So far, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to do it myself.
0: For those listening, we're trying to construct a Hallmark movie on, um, Hallmark love love story on the, on a Twitter thread. And so I started it off, I kicked it off. And then our buddy Aaron has come in and done the second part, but we still need some others to weigh in. I read it to my wife tonight and she's She's like, like, she was actually like, is it, is it released? She she was like, yeah, that's pretty spot on. That's (laughs) that's pretty much it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love that the business is a Christmas tree vendor. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. The guy owns a Christmas tree farm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, And the the, the fictional place is called Winter's Cove. Yes. It's it's just just perfect. Of course it would. All right, buddy. That's our Scatisode. Yeah. That's the questions I had for you. That was really fun. It was fun. It was more fun than I thought it was going to be. I was kind of afraid. Right? That's kind yeah. of how I felt. Well, good, good. I know I learned new stuff about you. It was inspiring. Um, so I'm going to sign off first, and then I'm going to let you sign off. Sure. And I'm just going to sign off uh, just with with the reminder to uh, shoot for the stars and also just find joy in the journey. Find joy in the journey, Sked. You're doing a dang good job. And to the rest of you, too. You're doing a killer job, Kalisar. Keep it up. My sign-off is long. Uh, Good. taking some inspiration
1: from your Mariah Carey. I'm not going to sing anything. <laughs> Dang uh, it. But I am going to read a selection from The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock, which is one of my favorite poems. Okay. Uh, I read it first in high school, and as I grow older, I, I revisit it from time to time. It's, it's a poem. To me, it's about a, a man growing older, about the world kind of passing him by. And whether he should be pushing the moment to its crisis—words from the poem—to kind of risk his slow demise by changing his life by approaching a woman that he believes has maybe been sending him signals, um, but coming to terms that that maybe this is not that this is not his way or not his fate. So here's a section. It's it's from near the end. Well, um, well what's the name of the poem? Can you say it one
0: more time? And the love the song. The Love Song of J. Alfred
1: Rockets by T.S. Eliot. I think it was his first published poem. Oh, wow. Um, I'm not certain of that.
0: Just so people can look it up. I know they'll want to. Yeah.
1: No, I am not Prince Hamlet, nor was I meant to be. I'm an attendant lord, one that will do to swell a progress, start a scene or two. Advise the prince, no doubt an easy tool. Deferential, glad to be of use. Politic, cautious, meticulous. Full of high sentence, but a bit obtuse. At times, indeed, almost ridiculous. Almost at times. The fool. I grow old. I grow old. I shall wear the bottoms of my trousers rolled. Shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare to eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think they will sing for me. It's a very long poem. Uh, Go give it a read. It's
0: it's intense. Now I want uh, to. Yeah. Well, I think they'll sing for you, SCAD. Hey, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kalisar. Good night, everybody. That is the scat episode. Good night.